Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Man, I'll tell you what, stuff happens fast. Like, Ferris Bueller said that, right? Life happens pretty fast sometimes. Better stop and look around. You might miss it. Do you own, Jimmy, by the way, any shirts that are not Chiefs-related this time of year? Uh, bel- <laughs> well, yes, because I own other shirts, not just because of the season. But, Jake, I'm in, I'm in the process, like I do every postseason, of, hey, a loss this weekend, and you got to retire the stuff till April into the closet. So we're just going to break them all out and see what happens. Then he busts out all of his New York Yankee crap. I mean, we usually give it a brief buffer period, but uh, MLB season starts in 70 days, I think. 72 days. Here's some catchers here in a couple weeks. Let's That's go. right. That's right. Let's go. So, yes, to answer your question, I do own other clothes. Now that I know that the things shift from the Chiefs to the Yankees, let's just go ahead and get the Chiefs to continue winning and, <laughs> there and delay that inevitable. Uh, but things happen fast. You said 70 days till baseball. Like it, it goes in the blink of an eye, and I'll tell you why. Yesterday, oh, 22 hours ago or so, is when we were on the air and it became – essentially official, at least in terms of the reporting aspect of it, that Pascal Siakam was going to become an Indiana Pacer. And literally, like in the blink of an eye, the official word from the Pacers, the tweet goes out, the pictures of him in the Pacer jersey, the welcome to Indiana. And now here it is. It hasn't even been a day. And it feels like Pascal Siakam, like veteran Indiana Pacer, been here forever. Let's go, right? You're already building the statue? Not building the statue, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I'm not, listen, I know he's a great player. And I, this is going to sound absurd because I know he's a great player. And, I'm, and I know he's going to be good here and he fits perfectly with what they want. There is no reason to not like it. I, I will admit to this, it's, and, and you know what, Kawhi Leonard's the same way. Kawhi Leonard is a great player. I in his prime, you know, well, he's still in his prime, but like at his zenith when he was healthy before injuries and that kind of thing, I, you know, when they were winning title, like he was probably the best player in the league. Yeah. Okay? And yet there's not like a glitz sexiness about him, right? So, I Have guess you seen those fitting. New Balance commercials? I don't know, Jake. You might want to watch those a little closer. I yeah. I it, <laughs> He's like an like you don't see kids walking around in Kawhi jerseys, right? Sure. He he doesn't have like the umph transcendent, not Curry, not LeBron, correct, not Shaq. That, that's all right. I'm saying, right? right. Not and, KD. And, and Pascal Siakam is kind of the same way. I guess it's fitting that Pascal Siakam. I was thinking about this, and what you want obviously is a guy that that wants to be in Indiana, and that has yet to be seen. But it, but all signs are pointing in that direction. But I think the challenge for the Pacers has always been, and we know this, this is no secret, is finding guys that actually want to be in Indiana and are comfortable like making this where they are established, right? Tyrese Halliburton was a really good – all these guys, going back to Victor Oladipo, Paul George, I mean, those would be the two that – you know, Danny Granger to an extent. The one thing that all those guys have in common that LeBron did not, that Kobe did not, that Kevin Durant did not, is these are guys that were not household names when they were 15, 18, 20 years old. They were not like top five blue chip recruits, 
McDonald's All-American performers, guys that, you know, on the cover of Slam Magazine when they were freshmen in college. All of them. I mean, Danny Granger played at Bradley and New Mexico. Victor Oladipo, granted, he played at Indiana, but he was a an unheralded high school recruit that, that was a late bloomer and a late developer, and it wasn't until his late college years where it came before our very eyes. Paul George grew up in, you know, went to Fresno State, is from out way outside Los Angeles. Not a guy that, that, that grew up with a lot of the, the hype and expectation. Now, in Oladipo and Paul George's case, as I have said a billion times, the problem was I think they got intoxicated by the attention and didn't handle it really well in the beginning and therefore thirsted for bigger spotlight. But Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, wasn't a huge name recruit, to my knowledge, went to Iowa State, was relatively, you know, kind of off the radar a little bit, and then became a star, you know, and and played his early NBA years in Sacramento, which is like the equivalent of Iowa State from an NBA standpoint. And then he got here, and he's like, I'm comfortable here because I've never been in that spot. I don't need it. And Pasco Siakam is kind of in that same mold. You know, here's a guy that that comes over to the United States, goes to high school here for a year, then, then goes to New Mexico State, and develops in the good news for Siakam or for Indiana, Jimmy, is that Toronto allowed him to become a star and an all NBA performer and get that taste so that now we know that he is able to handle that. Yeah. He is able to to and therefore he's not going to become one that all of a sudden is like shot like all of wow, now I'm a superstar, so I'm gonna go out and try to get my name and I need to go to LA or whatever to do it. That part I love. And we knew that when Tyrese Halliburton came here, that the entire appeal of Tyrese Halliburton, the selling point of Tyrese Halliburton, was that he was a guy that was going to be able to get another running mate and have a one-two combo. Because that's what you need in today's NBA, right? And there is no doubt on the basketball court that Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton is the one-two combo, right? That's your... But I have to admit to the fact that it's like, and I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here because I love that he's not like major superstar Nike commercial, you know, kids in Omaha, Nebraska aren't walking around wearing Pascal Siakam jerseys. Sure. I love that aspect of it. But I also at the same time, I'm like, but man, like it would be cool to have one of those like breakthrough superstars, wouldn't it? And I, and I know he is in a basketball standpoint, but in terms of an overall brand, maybe not. But I guess that's a good thing, actually. Is that if you yes. get what I'm no, saying? No, I, I get what you're saying. It's not like you are going out and you are acquiring like Paul George at like the height of his power, or you're you're or like Steph Curry correct. and you, yeah, you're grabbing a guy that is clearly labeled as one of the top pieces in the NBA and a franchise changing player. That's not necessarily what's happening here. Now that said, the Pacers know that what they're trying to build with Tyrese Halliburton is supposed to be an attractive setup on the court for free agents. We talk all the time, though, about how small markets, it's tough to make that a selling point, and some players can't get over that. Some people can't get over what, even though in our opinion, and those that stay here understand it, what a nice city Indianapolis is, the rallying cry that the community provides them, all that good stuff. And plus, in the offseason, you can go live where you want to. You want to have a house in Florida? Go do that. That's fine. 
But the idea, and I've seen this from a couple of places on Twitter, of, oh, well, they just could have waited until free agency and then tried to sign him that way. You've seen Field of Dreams. The theory, if you build it, they will come. Well, it's slightly different with the Pacers. What sometimes you need to do is, if you build it and then kidnap them, they might stay. There you like go. That, like that's basically that's good. the play here is because once you get the player, once you get Siakam, the worry out there by Pacers fans of maybe he's not going to resign. Well, I would think there'd already be something in place. Otherwise, the Pacers wouldn't have made the move. But even if you have that fear, once he gets the opportunity to play with Tyrese Halliburton, to play and be a part of this offense and realize it's probably the best passing guard he's ever played with, you hope that combined with the pieces you have and the capital that you have, whether it's cash or otherwise, is enough to want Pascal Siakam to stay here. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen because they play a fun brand of basketball and his style of play is going to complement and accent this offense in such a way that he's going to realize it's a perfect fit for this second half of his career. You know, the um, somebody just asked me, his nickname is Spicy P, right? Should how long is it going to be before a restaurant in Indianapolis has like some sort of a dish or side sauce called the spice like like spicy pea? Yesterday sauce? should have been yesterday. I, honestly, I, here's my memo to all of you. Okay, and there are great restaurants in Indianapolis. Some of them indigenous to and specifically towards Indianapolis. You need a side sauce or like a I don't know what it would be. You know, some sort of flavoring known. Right after. Pascal Siakam as Spicy P. It's a, it's a no-brainer, right? Yes. Now, somebody asked me this question, and I'm going to assume this is rhetorical. Is Spicy Pizza too on the nose? That's good. That's good. I'd go with that. Okay. I have my own personal favorite pizza place in town. I think most people know that. It's local. Uh, this from Mark. Don't you think that Indy is an upgrade from Toronto? Who really wants to be in Toronto for any reason? I've heard Toronto's a beautiful city. Uh, Toronto's like one of the, I mean, nothing again. I, I think people know, like I bleed the torch, right? I love, love, love Indianapolis, and I'm all for Indianapolis, all things Indianapolis. But, I mean, come on, Toronto's one of the five most cosmopolitan cities in North America. You know, Pascal Siakam grew up in a very Catholic family. So, you know, he... That obviously can can kind of, you can take that with you anywhere. I mean, it's not like there's any one area more so than anybody else, but I think he's a pretty family-oriented guy. But he came over to the United States like in, I think, midway through high school and went to high school in Texas before going to New Mexico State. But Toronto is a fabulous city. I mean, it's like a clean Chicago. It's Essentially, like a New York City level cosmopolitan sprawling metroplex. That is, I, I, I don't know anybody that's been to Toronto that's not like, yeah, it is an awesome city. Yeah. Now the winners would suck. Yeah, I get that. And the taxes of it. are not great. Sure. And those two things matter to players too. Hey, my buddy Scott McCain sent a text last night. It's a really good point that over the course of like, if he were to sign an extension, a max, or a, you know, he would save approximately $34 million in taxes by being in Indiana and not Toronto. Big. Really big. Not even being funny there. Yeah, spicy pea wings, Michael points out. All I, right. Perfect. I like it. Okay. Big lug. This has big lug written all over it. Big lug, Eddie Som, 
They've got they've already awarded. They have a thing that Alexander Rossi gets wings for life there. Then they need a spicy pea wings from Big Lug, and Pascal Siakam gets free wings there. No brainer, right? Yeah. Slam dunk, if you will. Somebody send a tweet to Big Lug and let them know that they need to do the spicy pea wings. They're a little bit off the top for you there? What's that? A little bit off the top there for you? A little, little, little slice of the cheddar? Yeah, well, no. No, no, not with those guys. I'm, I'm cool with it. You are? Okay. Like, Ed Som's been great to me. Eddie Som's been great to me. I have my 50th birthday there. All good. They, all right. they can they can take it all, baby. Right? Take yeah, it all. absolutely. Uh, my name is Jake Quarry, by the way. That is Jimmy Cook, whose voice you hear. Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Quarry and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan on a Thursday. How are you? We've got a lot to talk about. We will go up north of the border. Michael Grange, Roger Sportsnet in Toronto will join us in about 15 minutes. Give us a little more of an indication as to who is on his way to Indiana. Talking about Pascal Siakam. We know him as the player, but just what about like what kind of guy he is, what kind of community involvement he has. He does have, as I understand it, just for example, a foundation in Toronto that he is going to keep there, but I guess was very community-oriented and community-involved, which um, I think people will obviously like in this town. Alex Golden going to join us at 2 o'clock today. Alex is one of those, to be honest with you, like, I'm going to pick on him because he disagreed with me when I was talking about, hey, here's the players that I don't think the Pacers will move. He's like, nah, it's, there's no way. Well, okay. Here's the thing about – the Pascal Siakam deal, Jimmy. I thought about this. I had time to like kind of sit back and really break it down. Okay. When we probably have the audio call somewhere in this building, when Reggie Miller did his famous nine or eight points in nine seconds and slick Leonard said, well, Mark Boyle initially said, and they have stolen game one. And Mark Boyle said, they just stole it. They absolutely stole it. They stole Pascal Siakam. They did. I mean, you're talking about a guy that has size, can shoot the ball, can guard on the wing. As Pat Boyle and Pat pointed out, is an underrated passer, 6'8". And basically, they gave up. I mean, Jordan Wara can shoot the ball. I get that. But he was never a rotational guy. Jordan Wara was... There was a clear cap with his path of what he was ever going to be on this yeah, roster. Yeah, I mean, he, he he is a back-end guy, right? Yes. Don't get me wrong. I give him credit. When his number was called, he went in there and played and played well. But he didn't play a lot. And Bruce Brown, I, you know, I I don't mean this to knock on Bruce Brown at all. But I always kind of felt like, you know, they, they kind of overpaid a little bit. I think they knew that they overpaid for him because he had more value to Indiana than he did just like in terms of his regular market price. But I like Bruce Brown both as a – I've got nothing against him. I don't know the guy. I mean, I've met him, obviously. But, you know, and it's this is not all about like kicking the guy when he's down or, you know, nothing drives me more crazy than when – Somebody leaves a place of employment and then, like, all of a sudden, everything's blamed to that guy. Well, that had to have been Bill's fault. I mean, that guy was – Bill forgot to do that. <laughs> That's another example of why Bill's not here. Okay, well, Bill seemed like a decent guy. Everybody liked him. Now, all of a sudden, he's gone and everything's his fault. You paid Bill a great salary, had a nice press conference right. for Bill, you know. Right. Kind of championed Bill right out of the gate. That's exactly right. But so, I don't want to do that with Bruce Brown, but it did feel to me like he didn't completely fit – 
and I mean, I think at times the offense, the ball movement kind of stalled. He wasn't a ball hog. I don't mean that. But he didn't seem to have like the instinctive direction of where the ball was to immediately go in rotation at times. He didn't have the, you know, JMV pointed out, I thought very astutely, that Bruce Brown, and he said this when Bruce Brown was still here, that Bruce Brown didn't have necessarily the pick-and-roll chemistry with Miles Turner that others have when the ball's in their hands. But he is a good defender, but he was an undersized defender. I mean, they were the problem is Bruce Brown is basically like an on-ball guard defender, and they were having him try to guard on the wings, and then that also took Aaron Neesmith there, and Neesmith was having to guard a lot of players out of position that were bigger. And Siakam takes care of both those issues. But they they essentially gave up Bruce Brown and then picks <laughs> excuse me, and then picks that are gonna be in the in the high twenties most likely. You would hope, right? Because you're having good Correct. years. And in a not only that, but the Pacers have good young pieces that we talked about yesterday. Now Jalen Smith is on an expiring. I think you want to try to get him to stick around, but we'll see on that. But Aaron Neesmith, Isaiah Jackson, Andrew Nimhard, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, you're going to have to pay all those guys eventually. And they're all young players in rotation, Jimmy, so there's not a whole lot of room for new guys to be coming into the room. I mean, somebody that you're going to draft 22nd this year is probably not going to break the rotation anytime soon. And you now have freed yourself up from from four years from now having to come up with even more money for more young players that are coming about. So those picks were expendable to Indiana. So essentially, Jordan Wara, who's a non-rotational guy, and Bruce Brown, who's a nice player, but for everything that he brings to the table, is massively upgraded by Pascal Siakam. That's what you gave up for him. And now you've got to hope that he resigns, and that's the big if. And that's but it's but all signs seem to start pointing to that direction, right? I felt like, and I know the Pacers. You tried. know what would just cut you off, Jimmy? You know what would secure him here? Spicy pea hot wings from Big Love. I would agree. Yeah, I think that would seal the deal, and you don't even need to worry about aggressive negotiations. Just get pen to paper right away. But a handshake agreement with hands covered in spicy pea wing sauce that'll get you there. That'll that'll get the I'm job done. You. I had always felt like. From the moment they acquired Bruce Brown, that there was a sense, at least in my mind, of, of curiosity for what he would be for the Pacers. And I know that they still at times utilized him off the bench, but he also started quite a few games as well. In Denver, and we talk about it still with how Denver is constructed, they have a near-perfect starting five in terms of the roles that are expected and the right balance of star power to role players in a starting lineup. And Bruce Brown was perfectly built, especially in the finals, to do what he did for them, which is come up off the bench, still get like 30 minutes, but he was going to get you 15 or 20 points and flowed perfectly within that offense. I felt like Bruce Brown, and it's easy to say, I guess, in hindsight now, and there's no ill will to him, he's the type of player I would have liked to have seen the Pacers acquire in free agency, like the year, going into the year, they're ready to take that next leap, if that makes sense. Like, he would be the perfect missing piece if you were at the doorstep of conference finals, NBA finals. That combined with the price, I don't know that any of us thought that they were going to re-up and say, hey, we're going to pay you $20 million again next year when it's a team option. I think he's a good player. 
I is already attached to rumor mills now that he's in Toronto. So I'm curious if that's his final destination or if they ship him off elsewhere at some point. Either way, though, this is not a look at Bruce Brown with a finger pointing at him and laughing as he's out the door in terms of this trade happening. It's more of a, it's a business. You're a talented player. I would like to see still goodwill for you moving forward, but I'm happy that we were able to get a massive upgrade that helps us in that return. And in a lot of ways, if Toronto does decide to keep him, I don't think it's the biggest risk or leap taken by Toronto. Bottom line is the trade has nothing to do with a commentary on Bruce Brown, Jake. It's not a look at him and saying he was a failure here in Indiana. He happened to have a perfect contract to move on. And additionally, I just don't think it was the proper, not from an age standpoint, but just from a trajectory standpoint, the right timeline mesh. That's nothing against Bruce Brown and the player that he was. By the way, does it ever feel like some players just are destined to be like moved and traded every two Like there are certain players that just, yep. you look at it and you're like, this guy, like every two years he gets traded somewhere else, he just becomes like salary match guy. Yep. I kind of hope for his sake that Bruce Brown hasn't become that guy. Yeah. Right? I don't think it will. I mean, the, the contract that he has right now is weird, but assuming that the Raptors or if anybody trades for him don't pick up that $20 million option, he would get, I assume, a nice, more stable contract the next time he's up, which could be as soon as this year. Uh, do we have, Eddie, what the Indiana Pacers just posted? I do, but I'm in a meeting. Excuse me? <laughs> I do, but I'm in a meeting. Are we doing a live radio show here, or am I unaware of something? I realize there's a meeting that's taking place <laughs> within the building, but I think they gave us the day off from the meeting because we're doing a live radio show, right? So the Indiana Pacers just sent out this video within the last 10 minutes, which probably answers a big question. And that question is that we just asked is, when will Pascal Siakam be joining the team and getting onto the floor? Ah, reading the caption helps there. What's that? I didn't read the caption. I was just enamored by the video. Here's what I find interesting. We have it, Eddie? This video, you're going to hear the audio from it. This is Pascal Siakam posted by the Pacers about 10 minutes ago. Yo, what up, what up, Peace Nation, man? It's your boy, Pascal. Um, just landed. I know you see the plane. Just touched down. Um, super excited. Can't wait to meet all you guys. Um, and I'm just super excited, man. Let's get it. Go Pacers. So he's wearing a Red Bull hat. I don't know if that's like a Red Bull Air Race hat. Maybe he's already getting the taste of Indianapolis, or maybe Pascal Siakam just his constant energy. But the caption says what, Jimmy Cook? It says, just touched down in Indianapolis, effectively. I clicked off the tweet now. So Pascal Siakam is in Indianapolis. He is not in Sacramento, where the Pacers will be playing tonight at 830, but rather he is in Indianapolis. So we'll see what that means in terms of he still could go out west, obviously, and meet up with the team, or as you were saying, Eddie, there's the possibility they wait, hold him out, and make his debut at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, right? I have to admit, though, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just get him going? Well, you got to build up the excitement. You don't want people. I mean, <laughs> you don't want the first glimpse of Pascal Siakam in a Pacers uniform against the Phoenix Suns. Why not remodel Gamebridge Fieldhouse for an introduction for a player to happen on the road? Here's, here's what you do. See, see, this is guys the marketing mind here, and at some point, you guys are going to say to yourself. I can't believe I've been privileged to have access to this sort of 51-year-old market. Say it every night before I go to bed. I'll bet you do. Mm -hmm. What you do is you debut Pascal Siakam 
in either Portland or Phoenix because, you know, P to a P, right? But what you do is you have him play, you show him for one game, and then, now what are his initials, Jimmy? P.S. Right. Then you have, at the end of the game, a thing that says, P.S., coming soon to the arena near you. Here's the story of the new guy that we got, P.S. You can see him at Gamebridge Fieldhouse when we return. That's what you do. But again, you know, and then you send him over to Big Lug for some spicy pea hot wings. Speaking of the guy that's here, he has come from Toronto. He's in Indianapolis talking about Pascal Siakam, but we're going to go from Indianapolis to Toronto to find out more about him, and we're going to do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So I appreciate the uh, tweet that was sent to me, X tweet, whatever. Unfortunately, it's one of those accounts that's like random, so you never know, like, you know, the person's name. Uh, apparently yesterday reported that Siakam would come to Indy to take his physical and then head to Portland and meet up with the team in Portland. So there you go. I'm probably, you know, I'm sure he'll get like a tour of the facilities. And one of the things about the Pacers when they built the, and I don't know the exact name, I apologize, but the St. Vincent Sport Performance Center, essentially, for lack of a better term, right across from the field house. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through there and taken a tour of it. I mean, it's pretty state-of-the-art. And the idea was that when they built it, that it was also, you know, it's it's an arms race, right? You got to keep up with the Joneses. And it has pretty state-of-the-art facilities, including like kitchen areas in it, and then treatment rooms but the thing about it and i know that this these are little things right but everything in it is designed for people like six foot eight and taller so the the showers the training tables everything are like it's like going into like jack and the beanstalk land it's like (laughs) you know everything's like for giants essentially but those are the little things quite frankly that i think um players appreciate and it is so new and so state-of-the-art and so easily accessible to the arena, and then, of course, you just walk underneath Delaware Street to get to the arena from there via a tunnel. You realize you're closer to Giant than Jack, right? Like, you realize you specifically fit more towards the... Probably. But, I mean, cut down but, the even I, like, I, but even I, like, sitting in the training room chairs, it looks like one of those, like, fun zone sure. pictures you take. Yeah. But, you know, the idea was that that was going to be what would get players to want to come here, and then, obviously, I think they realize you also need a marquee player, and Tyrese Halliburton would be that guy. Um, and then you hope that now that's one of the things that just gets somebody to want to stick around, right? Uh, we get a hold of Michael, Eddie. Michael Grange joins us now on the program. He's with Roger Sportsnet up in Toronto talking about Pascal Siakam. Uh, Michael, first off, one of the great cities in all of North America, man. Appreciate you joining us today. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Pleasure to join you guys. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Uh, okay, so let's get right to this. I guess the first question that I would have, and even though I think I have a general idea here, but, you know, Pascal Siakam, obviously, we're talking about an all-NBA level performer, a guy that fits exactly what Indiana needs. However, he is somebody that Toronto sends. I thought Indiana probably got the better end of the deal. That could be debated. But the question I would have would be, what was it with Toronto despite the expiring contract, like why did they not extend him or why could they not extend Pascal Siakam and had to move him? Um, 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, the most direct way to answer that is they just couldn't agree, the two parties, on what the player was worth. And, um, you know, see, the Raptors did try to extend him. Uh, going back at the, to the beginning of last season, there was a three-year, uh, $125 million extension on the table. That was the max that they could offer at that time. And, you know, Siakam turned it down because he was in a situation where if he made All-NBA last season um, and he was coming off an All-NBA season, he would qualify for the Supermax for a 35%, I guess, four-year extension, kind of around $200 million. Um, Don't quote me on the numbers, but uh, that's the gist of it. And, you know, and in that negotiation uh, prior to last season, um, you know, uh, the message was sent that, that look, uh, it's very unlikely that we would budge off this 30%. Um, so, in other words, you could go be third-team All-NBA, second-team All-NBA, and, and, you know, the substance of this wouldn't really change. Um, you know, obviously, if you go out and you're third in the MVP race and you take this team to a conference final, I'm sure the conversation might have been different at that point, but we know that didn't happen. And, you know, Siakam had a really good year last year, but he did just miss All-NBA. And, um, you know, and so I think that, sort of divide where, you know, the Raptors saw him as, you know, a three-year, 30% kind of level player, so to speak, which is still on the hex. Um, but, and then the player himself saw, wanted more than that. And then even when he didn't qualify for all NBA, like he was looking for uh, a four-year extension and the Raptors never really wanted to move off three. So I think there was just a gap there. And, um, and then when that kind of emerged, and there wasn't a really clear way to bridge it, um, you know, then all of a sudden, you, you, you know, trading him becomes, you know, a higher urgency thing. And, um, and, you know, and then from the player's point of view, it's like, okay, I still think I, you know, this is probably my last kick at getting, you know, a, a really significant deal. And, you know, and I, I'm going to go and try and go, I'm willing to go to free agency or, you know, be part of the trade market and, um you know, maybe there's a there's a four year or more deal out there for me, and uh, you know that's how I think he ends up in Indiana. Michael Granger, Roger Sportsnet, nice enough to take some time with us. Michael, oftentimes when one move happens, you see kind of a domino effect when teams are going through a transition period. Is it as recent as with both these players being linked to trade rumors the last two years? Was it as recent as OG Ananobi being traded? that it felt like Pascal Siakam was likely going to be on the move soon after? Or was it an earlier date than that where it was clear the Raptors were ready to transition to a different stage of the franchise? I mean, I think this time last year, you know, everyone was talking about the Raptors and because they had so many players, you know, either heading to free agency or on and uh, kind of heading towards uh, contract extensions. and, and, And the Raptors just basically kind of, said listen give us your best offer we're, we're we're all ears but they at that point they weren't committed to doing any kind of making any kind of going in any particular direction um in the end as we know they they, they decided to add players in Jakob Pertle and uh felt that they were in position to they were closer to being a good team than an average team and um but uh I think as I pointed out I think with OG Ananobi and him being an all NBA defender and the nature of his contract, 
they knew they weren't going to be able to extend him. Um, there was just more money for him in the, in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, the demand for a player of his profile was significant enough that it just made sense to trade him. They did a good job on that trade. And you're right, once he was out the door, I think at that point the Raptors had pretty much chosen a direction. And to sum it up as simply as possible is, you know, they see Scotty Barnes as a budding superstar. And, you know, every move they need to make or wanted to make going forward was is uh, how to best compliment him, similar to what you guys have done with Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and so, you know, you got uh, Pascal, who's going to be 30 at the end of this, this year. And it's not like there's a lot of – it's not like, I mean, I think the idea that they couldn't play together is very overblown. They absolutely could. But you, I think you would have needed to reconfigure the roster around those two guys to make it work best. And I think given the age and, you know, what Pascal was looking for contract-wise, it just made more sense to, to move off of him. And, you know, the real debate is, as you point out, these, you know, these conversations have been out in the public arena now for at least a year and maybe more. And and the question and, the you know, the, the question for people in the Toronto market is, did they wait too long? And by kind of not making this move last year at the trade deadline and, you know, thing more certainly not making it last summer, you know, did they, you know, did they kind of cost themselves something in terms of an asset? And, and, you know, you said off the top, you know, you think Indiana got the better of this trade and obviously we don't know what these picks turn out to and what other moves follow, but, you know, on the face of it, I think, you know, if you're an Indiana Pacers fan, you got to be ecstatic. Um, you know, I think you because the two picks that they gave up, the OKC pick or what, and the, their own pick in a very you know the back end of a weak draft, and you've already got a roster that's pretty. You know, there's a lot of young players on that roster. You don't really need to add two more development pieces to it. Um, so I'm sure they were they didn't blink about giving that up. Giving up a 2026 lightly protected. That's you know that's that's a real that's a real asset, but in return you're getting you know I think a player that can instantly change your team. Um, from the Raptors' point of view, the real question, and maybe you guys can answer it, is you know had they made this deal with Indiana in the summertime, for example, could they have got as part of the package an Andrew Demhart, a Ben Matherin, a Jarese Walker, um, you know even you know. You know, Smith, I think, the the young center you guys have, who's kind of is looking pretty good. So any of these young players that fit Scotty Barnes' timeline, I think, would have been would have made this this deal a little easier sell morning after right now. Um, and, and I don't know. And I guess we'll never know. But I'm curious as to if there was an opportunity to make a deal like this in the summer and what would one of those pieces be, be included? Yeah, Michael, I agree. I, you know, I, I got the impression Jalen Smith is interesting because like Pascal Siakam, he's on an expiring deal. So, the, you know what I mean? They're, Indiana must feel confident they can retain him. Um, Matherin is one that I think they are still waiting through to find out what exact kind of future he has, what kind of player he's going to be for them. But it did seem as though Kevin Pritchard, and I do believe this, I think he was pretty adamant that he wanted to maintain as many of those young pieces to to be part of this process as possible. And, and I think you hit on it there. It, it's a really good point of it's a little enigmatic that Toronto would not have played a little hardball to get those guys, but maybe they knew, right? I mean, we don't know. Maybe they knew, hey, it, it's this or nothing. Take it or leave it. And that was their best offer. Um, 
question I have for you, again, Michael Grange is our guest from Sportsnet up in Canada, covers the Raptors. In Pascal Siakam, I think we know he's a good defender. Obviously, you know, he's been a great player in Toronto. This is an odd question, perhaps, because I know that they won a championship. You know, he, he played with Kawhi Leonard. He played with, with Barnes, as you'd mentioned, and OG Ananobi. But even with that, this clearly, Michael, to your point, is an epicentered team around Tyrese Halliburton. Is Siakam the kind of player that's cool with that? Does he play well with others in terms of does he have – is he okay with the moments of having to defer? A hundred percent. I mean, I think uh... – you know, I think if there's been a knock uh, against Pat Siakam here, and it kind of reflects in the negotiations I was just laying out, is that if he's the best player on your team, is there a ceiling to which your team can actually realistically reach? And, and you know, that really that really depends. I mean, it depends who the other four guys are, probably. But but I mean, uh, you know, he's 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 one of these guys where. He can absolutely command offensive possessions, and if he's got opportunities in space uh, and one-on-one, like he is just a monster matchup. Like there's, you know, like I'm not saying he's on the same level as, you know, Kawhi Leonard or you know, these small handful of the super elite guys, but in an environment where I think with the spacing that Indiana has, and um, you know, a, a kind of a point guard, the level that Halliburton is. I think that, you know, Siakam is going to be a real, you know, he's going to be a really, really good 1A or B, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and if, and I don't think he's a guy who, I don't, I, I know for a fact he's not a guy who expects the world to revolve around him, um, either on the floor or off the floor. And, um, so I think, you know, if he's, I think a pairing between him and Halliburton is really good. I think he's never played with a point guard as prolific as Halliburton. And coming up earlier in his career, like what, where Siakam first made his mark was being able to find offense in the cracks around other really, really good players. And he evolved into a guy who could be very, very dangerous as an ISO player, who could be an end of shot clock uh, type guy. Um, and and I think you know to have I think he's best suited as um, like I say a kind of a one B or a two whatever you might call it who situationally can can carry it you know either end of clock or certain matchups or certain lineup groups type thing so um, yeah I think I can't see any reason honestly why he's not going to go to Indiana and have tremendous success. What, if any, is the area, Michael Grange, that Pascal Siakam leaves you wanting more? Is there a weakness in his game? Um, he's a little bit finesse. Uh, so, you know, he's, 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 a, he's a great athlete. Like, let's, like, don't be, but, you know, there's, there's, you know, he maybe lacks that ability to just punish uh you know defenders just physically he's he's you know he's so he's he's got a lot in his bag he's a really crafty one-on-one player but if you were to really nitpick and I'd say it's nitpicking it's when he gets into kind of finishing situations he ends up relying a bit on finesse he doesn't maybe draw the fouls he he could conceivably and he ends up like a lot of guys who have to carry you know offense late in clocks and one-on-one type situations he kind of ends up in a little bit of uh sort of 
you know, that mid-range so-called no-man's land. I mean, it's still a pretty valuable place to score, but, um, you know, if he's, if, if those shots aren't falling, you know, you know, like anyone else, it looks pretty rough. So, but like the reality is they do fall and he's able to get to the rim and he is able to get to finish at the rim. So that would be it is, is if you're looking for a guy who's just going to kind of put people in the basket, that's not really him. If, uh, and as a shooter, he's he's kind of interesting. He, he's kind of had a, this year has been incredible. Like he's had he had the worst three point shooting slump of his career. Uh, it was just horrendous. Still managed to be pretty productive through it. And then the last seventeen, eighteen, twenty games or whatever the number is, he's been unbelievable. He's been above forty six, forty seven percent from three. I don't think that's going to continue either. But you know, I think as a catch and shoot three guy, which he may have more opportunity to do playing off Halliburton and the other spacing you guys have. Um, you know, I think career he's above league average, and it's, he might have had one season around 40%. So, you know, if you're looking for him to dribble into threes and, step, you know, sidestep and all that kind of thing, well, you know, good luck. But, you know, taking good quality threes, I think he's reasonable. And um, like I said, if you're looking for a guy to – someone who's going to put someone in the basket and go to the free throw line 15 times a game, you know, uh, there's a reason he's – not you know an MVP. He's just a he's just really good. <laughs> Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet is our guest. Michael, it's been well documented that in terms of efficiency as a scorer over the four and a half seasons post Kawhi, Siakam's numbers have dipped. Is there reason for Pacers fans and the franchise itself to think that he can become a more efficient scorer again, playing alongside such a crafty distributor like Tyrese Halliburton? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Raptors' story uh, since, you know, their championship teams, let's just say the last, like, let's throw out the Tampa year. That was just a disaster for kind of everybody. Um, But in the two seasons since, uh, they just have not had enough quality shooting to space the floor properly. And, you know, the way Nick Nurse at that time kind of, uh, remedied that was, you know what, we're just going to put the ball in the hands of our best players, our best, whatever the best matchup is we can find, and just let them go to work. And, um, it, you know, it was effective in the sense there wasn't a ton of turnovers. Uh, it was effective that you had good players taking reasonably good shots. But as you guys know, if you're constantly going one-on-one in ISO situations, your efficiency is going to tumble unless you're, you know, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo or something. So, um so I think that really explains it. Uh, you know, it's just a shot diet he was working with by design. Like it wasn't like he was, he was, it was his plan. Um, and I think what, if there's been an uptick this year, I think even with, uh, I referenced that, uh, horrendous slump from three to start the season. Um, I think his true shooting percentage is up over 600, 60% this year, which is really good. And, um, and I think the, they attribute that, you can attribute that to, to an offense that's based much more on, uh, off-ball movement, cutting, and uh, player movement, and and I think again, when what I've seen of Indiana, like I'm not an expert, it's not like I've watched 50 of your games, but um, you know from what I've seen, you know the there's a lot of five out, there's a lot of room on the floor, there's a lot of you know if you move, you're going to get it. There's a lot of scoring in transition, and you know Siakam's great at all those things, and then I think what he can, you know, if you do need to get a bucket and the matchup's right, he's, uh, you know, he's probably top 20, top 
top 15 in, in the league of being able to get his own. And Michael, by all accounts, and appreciate the time today, pretty good dude. I mean, from everything I've read, you know, obviously we don't know these guys intimately, but um, seems like a guy that was involved in the community in Toronto and the people in Indianapolis, from what I can see, should be happy about what he might contribute outside of basketball. Just seems like a pretty good dude. Fair assessment? Yeah, no, he, yeah, no 100%. I mean, he's, no, he's not like the warmest, fuzziest guy. Like, he's not, you know, he's not out there to, to make, his, make best friends with everybody. Um, I don't mean that in a negative way. Like he's very sincere. Like he's very professional. He's he's he really is like a guy, a gym rat, a guy who's turned his career into something special uh, with zero expectations, really. And uh, he's done it by kind of putting his head down. And and I think this last year, I'm going to say, where his name's been in the trade trade, you know, there's been a lot of rumors. It's been, I think, a stressful situation. Um, I don't think it's been a pleasant situation. You know, he never. You know, all he ever did was like, look, I'm a hooper. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to do my work, and my game will show. And, you know, and I think there's not a lot of guys who could have handled that as, as well as he has. And it's certainly his performance, I think, wasn't negatively affected. I don't, you know, like overall, like you'd have to give him pretty good marks for that. He's never going to be a problem in your community. He's never going to be a problem in, in you know, uh, as a teammate. Um, you know, he's a he's a hard nosed guy who came up. Uh, nothing was ever handed to him, and he's earned every bit. Um, and so, yeah, I I think uh, I don't see why people in Indiana wouldn't really come to appreciate him. Michael, appreciate it. Put on your best root sweatshirt, go to Jack Astor's, and have a barking squirrel, man. Appreciate the time. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. All right. Michael Grange from Rogers Sportsnet in. Toronto, talking about Pascal Siakam. We'll continue the conversation. Alex Golden going to join us 2 o'clock. You're listening to Query Company. Thanks for being in the company. 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eddie, you decided to open up the phone lines, right? Yeah, I got some people in the break room asking for taking calls. So I love the break room. I love the break room. We should get some for everybody in the break room, which by the way is our YouTube chat, and I apologize. I probably should recognize those in the break room and our appreciation for them more often. My ADD kicks in from time to time. We should bring in some big lugs spicy pea hot wings for everybody in the break room. Yeah, I was gonna ask what we got in there. Wings, continental breakfast. What what's the play in the break room? I don't know. <laughs> Do you like the continental breakfast? Depends. Do you ever go with the omelet machine? The omelet maker? <laughs> I'll take a chance on the, the waffle, waffle maker. maker. The waffle yeah. maker every now and again, I'll take Fair a enough. chance on. The uh, By the way, last night, uh, my buddy Andrew, it was his birthday. We went to Maggiano's for dinner. Good time, good dinner. Um, Shannon and I and he and his mom, and we had a w- wonderful time. Our waitress just moved to Indianapolis four months ago because she got married to a guy that she met in her former city of San Diego. She moved from San Diego to Indianapolis and moved here right at the start of wintertime. Could could there be a more miserable, like, don't get me wrong, she was lovely and she seems very happy because she moved here to, to marry a guy, but wouldn't you, like, immediately be start questioning your decision there? Like, why did I move to Indianapolis? It's zero degrees outside. Oh, I thought you were just asking if she was questioning why did she marry this guy? Well, if, if she probably was like, why did I marry this guy and move to zero degree weather? But then she started talking about how much it costs to live in San Diego. I'm like, yeah, I get it. There's a signing period in life, too, guys. I get it. Yeah. You got you to weigh all those. 
much like a potential player deciding if they want to sign a long-term extension. That's the thing, Eddie. She she came here for the marriage, but she doesn't know whether or not she's going to go with the long-term extension, <laughs> right? That, that's the question that remains to be seen. All right, we'll open it up for phone calls, 239-1070. I want to know your thoughts on Pascal Siakam. I don't think anybody's going to be negative about it, though, right? I don't think so, unless you're married to picks. Or Kevin Bowen. What's that? Kevin's not in favor of the trade. At least I kept Benedict Matherin, right? That's right. All right, thoughts from everybody. Break room, your chance now to step in here to the boardroom. It's Quarry and Company on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Aquarian Company prominently features Jimmy Cook, whose voice you hear on this program, along with Eddie Garrison, who, a peek behind the curtain, as soon as we went to the break, Eddie said, you know, I, I probably overstated that and should clarify. Um, I used the wrong word. On? He preferred OG Ananobi in the trade with Toronto over Kevin Pascal, Bowen. Yes, over okay. Pascal Siakam. Not saying he was in favor was the wrong terminology there. He, he was just in, had a preference see, to the I just, younger OG over Pascal because he fits better with the timeline, et cetera, et cetera. I imagine Kevin was pitchforks for a second when Eddie took us down that path. That's right. I'm glad I have the clarity now. You know the guy that, that really is interesting to me? 239-1070, by the way, is the telephone number. We're going to open up the lines, let you folks weigh in, chime in on really whatever you want, but I, I really want to know what you think about Pascal Siakam. But you know, we probably should incorporate more of the company on the show itself. If you want a job position, we could probably should we lift the hiring freeze temporarily and hire some folks? So we hired Brendan King and then we went back into the I think freeze. Brendan was given an internship, right? Well, you made him like the director of Sunshine or something like that, because he always has <laughs> a smile on his face. He should be director of chicklets because he's got big teeth. You ever notice that with Brendan King? <laughs> you guys ever notice that? Is that? That would imply by your laugh that you've noticed that? Uh no, not until now. <laughs> I okay. uh I, w- I wasn't here. For those company meetings, I proxied my vote to Eddie. So yeah, that's when you were overseas, right? Correct. I was in London. Okay. Yep. Um, but the the Siakam thing I, to me, I, I get what Kevin is saying. I think one of the things that's interesting is the guy that I'm really curious about moving forward is Benedict Matherin, because I, I I still don't know. Like, do we do we have we seen enough? Do we have enough body of work to know that Benedict Matherin is in fact? I, I think that we thought, Jimmy, we have been so eager, so long, so thirsty for a guy, for like big time stars, right? And and, and new pieces. And I think that, that we were able to say that about Matherin or wanted to say that like out of the box. And now it feels like, he, I'm not going to say that he's peaked, but he, he seems to me to be offensively kind of pigeonholed a little bit. And, you know, he's re- he's very good at getting to the basket. But it just, I don't know, there just seems to be like a little something missing with Benedict Matherin. And I don't mean that he can't be a really good player, but I think that we thought he was going to be like an epicenter player or even like an immediate running mate type player. And it does feel now like he's more of a rotational piece. Am I being too critical, Jim? I feel like he's a rotational piece based on where the roster is currently constructed and based on where he has the best chance to continue to develop and grow for me and i don't think this is the tone you're taking but i've heard some people take this tone with benedict matherin you can't rush development and maybe there were those that thought he was going to light the world on fire out of the gate i'll be honest i wasn't quite build the statue level but i was very excited when they 
selected Benedict Matherin. I still have high hopes for him. That said, he's yet to complete season number two, right? Like this is still a second year player. And when you look at, there's no set in stone timeline of when a leap forward happens. But if we're at this time next year, assuming he's still a part of the roster, which I think he will be, then I would start to have question marks. Because at the end of the day, even though you have Pascal Siakam, we said this when they had that pick, you cannot afford to have missed on Benedict Matherin. Regardless of where things are at with Tyrese Halliburton, regardless of the addition of Pascal Siakam, based on where you drafted and the type of player you're hoping to get, you can't afford in terms of the bind you'll put yourselves in to readjust and reattain a a talent of his projected level if you misfired. I don't think they've misfired. I just want to give a little bit more time to him, come back to me next year around this time and see where he's at, which you would hope at that point he has solidified himself into the starting rotation. Uh, Before we get to the phone lines, we do have a little bit of breaking news. This is just a couple moments ago from the Indiana Pacers. We have waved forward James Johnson. James Johnson, who is kind of the veteran leader type on the team, has been waived by the Pacers. That's not to say that he won't eventually at some point be back. But Same thing um, happened last year, right? Yeah, a couple of different times, right? Yep. He was just brought back when, Eddie, about three weeks ago? About a, Yeah, it was just right after the Milwaukee ball situation. <laughs> Stealing Excuse game, me? game ball. What's that? Ball, singular, not plural. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> uh, 239-1070 is the telephone number. Jonah. Jonah joins us, and I'm not sure if it's from Phoenix or Indianapolis. What's up, Jonah? I am in Phoenix, so your insulator slash bringing the heat to Indy is at your service. <laughs> I never know where. So so you're moving. Now, you grew up in Indy, right? Yes. Then you I moved there for 30 years. Then you moved to Phoenix, right? Yes, in 2016. And then you moved back to Indianapolis, and you've been driving a Utah a, a U-Haul back and forth for like six weeks now, right? Well, no, I, the U-Haul was only one way. I, all my stuff is in storage in in, in Indianapolis. I'm just I'm just uh, tying up a few uh, ends here, business wise, and just enjoying one last winter here before I go back for good. So I I kind of delayed it by a couple months. Okay, fair enough. And then you moved back here for good when. Uh, I'm aiming for March 1st now. Your new title, by the way, is you are the Director of Nomadic Lifestyle. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I am pretty versatile, so you can give me five <laughs> titles, and I, I won't disappoint you, Jake. I appreciate it, John. All right, what's up? What, what do you think about the trade? I love it. And at first, I, you know, I was a little reluctant because if it included Matherin or Walker, I wouldn't have been on board as much. But with the three picks, two of the picks are for the upcoming draft, which – to my knowledge, is very weak. And we already have a log jam with young talent, and we have two first-round picks from this last draft that we don't even have on the floor anyway. So I'm not entirely sure those picks would have been worth it in, in the first place, even though you could move up in the draft. But it, we already have a, ho- a whole bunch of second-round picks anyway, so if there's a guy they want to target, I'm sure they could package that to move up. But I want to see what it's like on the court. Our offense is going to excel. But I want to see how Siakam does on the defensive end. And whether he compliments Turner or not on the other side of the basket, because that's one thing I'm really interested in seeing on that aspect of the trade. It and feels like, though, really Jonah, I mean, don't you agree with this? Like, it, it feels like Siakam, I mean, so long as he is a competent defender, and I think he's above that, but 
They just, in terms of opposite side wing defense, they basically haven't had anybody that's doing it at the size that Siakam can bring to the table. So it automatically feels upgrade, right? Yeah, and with Brown and uh, Neesmith being out the last game, you could just see the perimeter defense just collapse and Turner was putting in the ba- put in a bad spot. So if the perimeter defense has a bad night, I kind of wonder what it's like to be with Siakam and Turner in the post by not allowing so many layups because that's just one thing that's been – if there's one negative take I have with this Pacers season, we just allow way too many uh, points in the paint, and that, that's just something that just needs to you know come to a stop or at least minimize – Jonah, have you um? What's that mountain in Phoenix? Everybody climbs. Camelback Mountain. Uh, have you climbed Camelback? Well, it, I went, my cousins visited one time, and I went halfway up, and I I darn near passed out. Oh come on, man! You got, before, I, I kid you not. I, I had to. I had you mean to because of the exertion, down. or because of the like the? I mean, it's I've done it. It's it's kind of weird the way you do it. It, it feels never ending. Um, you were too tired. And you almost passed out, or you got like scared because well, it's high it's up. It's a conglomerate. It's a conglomerate of it's really steep climb. It was hot, and I'm fat, and I'm out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> so it really wasn't a good fit. But I'm going to try it one more time uh, before I head back and see All if right. I can uh, accomplish something I can do. Do it early in the day before the sun gets too hot on it. I'll tell you that. That's my advice to you, Jonah. But, but you'll well, like that- it. It's cool. It's very cool at the top of it. Eddie? I was going to say, Jonah, we don't call it fat. We call it insulation on this program. <laughs> He's the director of insulation, is he not? I don't think Jonah's fat. I've seen Jonah. I, I wouldn't list him as fat. You're giving yourself, you're too hard on yourself, Jonah. All right, Bobby. Bobby, what's up? Not a lot. How Good Lord, how's life on the train? Not on the train. <laughs> Just driving home. Where, where are you driving home to, Bobby? Beautiful downtown Southport. Okay. I like Southport. Did you go to Southport High School? Evans, no. I went to... Small little school over on the west side. I think last year they won the won the state championship in basketball. Wait, which high school did you attend? The small little school on the west side, Ben Davis High School. Yeah, that's not very big. <laughs> You're right. Okay. So now, Bobby, what year did you graduate from BD? Uh, 1976. 76. All right. So you are, by the way, Bobby, you are the director of Bicentennial Freedom. How's that? <laughs> Just that, work. Bobby, when you were a senior in high school, how big was the Bicentennial? Was it like nonstop talk and celebration? Pretty much so. It was, um, it was, it, the, United, the United States was 1776. Indiana was like 1781 or something like that. And, 17, and that was, we made a lot more bigger deal of that than it seemed like than there was in the Bicentennial of the United States. But, there was a lot of talk all the time about the being a birthday. What about IU being undefeated in 76? How big a deal was that? For me, I loved it. I was a um, huge IU fan, and uh, I knew one of the guys, the guy who's recently passed away, George McGinnis. I knew, I've known George, I knew George all my life, literally. And um, for me, it was a big deal. I was a big fan when he went down there. I was just happy to see what he did as his freshman year down at IU. And then when he went to the uh, pros, obviously he went to my local team. He went hey. to the Pacers, and he was uh, one of those things that I I was just thrilled with that, too. And a true gentle good. giant, man. I'll tell you what, Bobby, before we get to Siakam, you got to say, can you imagine that 75 team if McGinnis had never left? <laughs> well, right? I mean, Right. <laughs> Bill Walton would have been a 
looking for some place to hide us that red pony. Hey, Bill, let me tell you something. Big- Bill Walton fouled. Bill Walton fouled Steve Downing in '73 in the Checkerdome, and they they called it on Downing. It's the, one of the biggest BS calls in the history of college basketball. Um, yep. All right, Bobby, what what do you think about the trade with Siakam? Well, as I just said, I've been a lifelong Pacers fan. I've known I knew George McGinnis, knew Billy Keller, these guys all my life. When George was around, he took me in. And, uh, took me in. And I knew Mel Daniels and Ned Alecki and Roger Brown. So I've known these guys all my life. And personally, my wife hates the Pacers. She was around when George Foster, he would fall down and he was hurt for the next 15 minutes. Uh, she didn't like the fake acting that George Jeff Foster, Foster. Did Jeff Foster, you mean. Jeff Foster, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. That's right. Got my sports, got my sports mixed up. But um, I don't think there are a handful of people in the NBA, and I'm not sure any of them are playing right now, but I don't think in the NBA there's a handful of people worth the price the Pacers paid to get Pascal Siakam. And I, they was talking about even more for OB and Anobi from down at IU. Uh, I thought that was ludicrous the price they paid for him. Uh, I not seen Pascal play very much, but I think they overpaid. And if they cannot get him re-signed after this season, the Pacers are in dire straits for the next three, four years on account of this. They traded away their future. Well, there's no doubt about this, Bobby. You are correct in the fact that they're taking a gamble. One would assume that they are assured that Pascal Siakam is going to resign because you are correct. I mean, it is major egg if Siakam doesn't resign here and you turned out that you did that for a four-month rental. I'll respectfully disagree a little bit, Bobby, on what they gave up because I think Bruce Brown is a good player. But he's a, he's a good player. I, I don't know that he's a great player, but I think he was a little bit undersized for what Indiana needed him to do. That's no fault of Bruce Brown. But in terms of the draft picks, it's where they're going to be slated. So, you know, assuming that Indiana has success for the rest of the year, they're on pace for that pick that they gave up to be somewhere in the 20s. And, and that would be probably true of all of them. They're giving up the 2026 one, you know, who who knows, but it's also got some protection to it. I understand. I mean, you're right. In in a vacuum from the outside, when you look at it, essentially giving up five players for one seems imbalanced. But one of them in Wara is not a great rotational player. Bruce Brown is a rotational guy, probably at most on a really good team. And then the three picks, one would assume, are going to be late 20 picks, but you already have young pieces and this frees you up from a salary standpoint of trying to get those guys, you know, extended and whatever else, as opposed to having other young guys that are pushing them. So I just don't know that those picks would have gotten a lot of minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the lesser of Utah, Houston, Clippers, or Oklahoma City in terms of the way that that second first round pick they gave, the second 2024 pick. And that could very easily be, as you mentioned, Jake, in the 20s or worse, just like the Pacers kind of hope their 2024 first round pick is this coming season on top of that they still will have a first round pick in 2025 it's not like these are consecutive picks so you're basically accepting that with Siakam yes you're not going to have a first round pick in 2024 but you're only losing one year of future draft capital in theory and then if you're simulating out two more seasons of 2026 as you mentioned those draft protections if for some reason everything went haywire and the Pacers are picking in the top four they're going to get that pick back based on the protections alone. So I, I get right. it. I had that initial 
Sticker shock when it was first reported. It might be three first round picks a couple days ago. When you dive deeper into it, they really are only sacrificing the 2024 draft, which by all accounts should be a weak class. And based on where you're likely to go this year, you could, I don't know if the Pacers will do this. The Lakers do this a ton, Jake. If you really wanted to, you could buy your way back into the first round for a late first round player if there's somebody you loved, or you could trade somebody to get back into the first round if you really want to be there. Todd joins us. Todd, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are y'all? Doing all right. Yourself? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, actually. Kind of cruising around town right now. Now, Todd, you said you're cruising around town. Can I ask you a little? Can we play get to know your listener? It's a segment we've done on the show over the years, and people, kids in particular, love it. Can, are you willing to participate? Yeah, you know me, but yes. Okay, yeah, uh, okay, Todd, if you don't mind me asking, what, what kind of car is that that you're driving around in? I am driving a Honda CRV. Okay, uh, and Todd, if um, when you're driving the Honda CRV, if you if you get the hankering to stop into a convenience store and buy yourself a soft drink, what are you buying? Um, mainly water, dude. To be honest, with you. I'm not I'm not used, I'm not a soft drink guy. So yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Todd, the last school that you attended, its athletic team's nickname is what? The last school I attended, uh, the Cardinals. Okay, that would be uh, Southport or Ball State or? Yeah, it's Ball State, yes. It's okay. not Louisville. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or Louisville, yeah. Okay. All right, so, Todd, what do you think of the trade? Well, and, and sometimes everything's about perspective, and, and maybe this is even comes down to semantics. If I, if I replace the phrase three first-round picks with Aaron Holiday, T.J. Leaf, and Miles Plumley. I don't think people would be as upset about the trade. I, I you know, it's uh, three first round picks is, is what it is. And you don't really know the equity of those picks until, you know, you're, you're years away from really knowing how those play out. So um, I'm a, I'm a bird in the hand guy, to be honest with you. I think that that's a very good way of saying what those picks are. I was going to look up actually, like if, so like Eddie, look up, um, Todd, give us a year off the top of your head, like in the last 10 years. Uh, 2012. 2012. Uh, yeah, that's a little too, too far back. So let's go. Okay, well, how about 2017? We'll meet you halfway there, right? Or, or roughly, okay? Yep. So 2017, who was the 24th pick in the draft, Eddie? Tyler Lydon. Okay. You want to know who was 23rd? Who was the 23rd pick in the 2017 draft? OG Ananobi. Okay, well, and that one worked out, right? But your point's well taken, Todd, right? I mean, you're, you're taking the, the – more often than not, you're talking about Aaron Holiday or TJ Leaf as opposed to OG Ananobi. So it's a point well taken. Todd, you're driving right now. What side of town are you on? How's traffic? I am I'm basically at the 38th Street exit on the west side of town. Traffic pretty light right now. <laughs> okay. We're window we, – we don't have windows here. Is it nice outside? Is it sunny out? Uh, it's cloudy. Uh I think it's the prelude to some weather coming in uh, over overnight. Okay. Well, there you go. You got a Honda uh, CRV and a Honda Prelude in the same conversation. <laughs> Todd, appreciate it. Drive safe. All right. See you, boys. Thank all you. Right. There we go. That's a that's a good point though. In regards, yeah. To the Eddie picks. brought it up yesterday when we were talking about where Eddie the started picks clapping could be. when he made that. Yeah, because that's exactly what Eddie told me the other day, and, and he was spot on. As was that caller in regard to where the Pacers have done draft history wise, especially late in the draft, like. Over a span of two years, it was TJ Leaf and Gogo Batadze in the same spot at 18, right? Like, I mean, it, I'm, that's not, I'm not trying to bring up like past misses or, or where the Pacers were, but it's not just the Pacers. 
you have a hard time finding guaranteed value, especially in a perceived weak class when you're picking where the Pacers believe they're going to pick this year. You're betting on yourself in a way, not just that you can re-sign Siakam, but that you're going to be good enough this year to where you can stomach that pick going to a different franchise. And again, if you do well enough, you could maybe get your way back into the first round at a low cost if it matters that much to you compared to where the pick would have been anyway. Luke joins us. Luke, what's going on? What's going on, guys? How are you? Luke, how old a fellow are you? I'm well, thank you. I appreciate you asking. How old a fellow are you, Luke? 26. 26. So you would be too young to remember former Kentucky star Kenny Walker that played for the New York Knicks, right? Uh, I would be. Okay. He, he was His nickname was Kenny Skywalker, so I figured he was your favorite player, but I'll bet you've never heard that joke before, right? Uh, I, I cannot say Kenny Walker is a name that comes up in consistent conversations. But but Skywalker, you probably have heard that yeah. joke a few times is what I'm getting at. Right? Once or twice. Yeah. All right. What's on your mind, Luke? So kind of this is actually kind of in reference to the last caller as well. I did I did a little looking yesterday um, from the years 2012 to 2020. There were 110 players drafted in the range of 20 to 30. You want to take a guess how many players in that range were all-stars at one point in time in their career of the 110 players drafted? Pascal Siakam's one of them, right? He is one of them. Uh, I'll say 11. Five, including Siakam. So a four and a half percent chance of drafting an all-star in that range. I'll yeah. take my chance uh, with 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 who I got. That's a fair point. I, I, again, you know, there's a lot of crapshoots that go on in the NBA, and I think the point that was made, Luke, I appreciate it. The point that was made uh, is a good one from Todd, which is you know, bird in the hand, right? Bird in the hands worth two in the bush. Mm-hmm. You, you know what you have, and and you roll with it. You know, I mean, it's look. In the end, I think I get it. It feels like they gave up a lot, but they actually probably alleviated a little bit of future responsibilities in terms of just roster spots and whatever else for for right now. I mean, this is the Pacers basically saying, you know, they went through a process where we knew that the Pacers were in a rebuild. And we didn't know how long it was going to take, but I think the arrival of Tyrese Halliburton in terms of his game and what he's been able to do shortened the window. And it's like, you know what? The time's now. Let's go. And the question you have to ask yourselves as a Pacers fan, if you're upset about it, or if you think there was too much draft capital given up, you need to look at this roster and ask yourself the same question that the Pacers did. Do you believe in Benedict Matherin? Do you believe in Jairus Walker? Do you believe that pieces that they hung on to intentionally are going to be future pieces of this franchise because the Pacers do, and they also believe in a lot of those pieces helping in the short term this season. The alternative to not giving up picks outside of just not acquiring anybody altogether, which I think was foolhardy, would have been to gut the roster. And that was your point, Jake. They did not gut the roster. They got rid of players that either were role players or players that only just recently acquired this offseason. And there was a clear cap, especially in Nuora's case, with what they were going to do. That combined with where those picks are going to be, it's a win in the short term, and it is a likely win in the long term, assuming, which again, I'm not worried about this. I know some fans are. They get an extension done. And believe you me, if there's not an extension done, that's the big it risk, will man. Be, that will be a must-tune-into show and a much-tune-into across our airwaves in the summertime if for some reason this was a deal done without firm confidence he I'm, was staying. I'm most fascinated by Pascal Siakam showing up wearing a Red Bull hat. There has to be more to that, right? 
I mean, it looked like a hat like... Could it be as simple as a sponsor? Uh, that's what I mean. He's got to have some sort of endorsement. It, it, it Quite frankly, it looked like a hat he got at a garage sale, right? Maybe he got it from your purge. <laughs> <laughs> they swung him by downtown <laughs> and wanted to play. Here you go. Pick out what you can. Um, we're a little over, but we'll squeeze in Gene. Hi, Gene. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? You know, Gene, I can't complain. You know what I mean? Life's pretty good. I'm not a fan of the cold weather. My back's been a little sore, but for the most part, pretty good. You know? Yep. Hey, I'm the Siakam trade. Uh, I thought it was a really good deal. And the reason why is the two first-round picks they got rid of this year, they had to move those anyway. They got, what, five guys that are first, second-year players? They don't need more. And the two players, were not they were not going to be with the Pacers next year. So really all you gave up was a 2026 first-round pick. Yeah, I would agree with that in terms of there's a log jam at youth, right? I mean, that's the easiest way to say it. By the way, Gene, you're turning. What, what street are you turning on to? Uh, Michigan Road. Michigan Road? Okay, and you're turning off of what on the Michigan Road? Uh, 96th Street. Are you going southbound? Because that stretch from Michigan from 86th Street to about Kessler feels like it's like 55 miles long. Yeah, that's the direction I'm headed. Okay. Well, we'll carry you till 3 while you're on Michigan <laughs> Road. All right, Gene? All right. Take care. All right. Be safe. I, good point, though. A- again, log jam at youth. That's the best way that, uh, of what Gene's saying. I agree with it. Totally agree with it. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll continue the conversation. Alex Golden, 2 o'clock, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Jimmy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Did you do anything fun last night? I dove in. I don't usually do this, but I got sucked into a documentary series. On? Called American Nightmare on Netflix just released and it was about a couple who were with the girlfriend of this gentleman was kidnapped in 2015 that's right after the movie Gone Girl came out and then she like reappeared two days later and so it goes into like the police department thinking it was all a hoax and then it goes into like was there really a real person or not and I don't want to give too much away even though it's actually a real world event so you probably already heard about it but very captivating the entire thing three three episodes about 40 minutes in length each very good Eddie, anything you did? No. Did nothing. I watched the, the Australian Open. Huddy, you just went home and sat in a... The Australian Open would be awesome to go to, by the way. I know, right? It's on my bucket list of sporting events I want to attend. The U.S. Open would be cool. I I mean, the Australian Open would be awesome because it's in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, blue courts, right? Yes. You know, one of the things that stuns me about... It, and I'm... I, I, I'm hesitant to tell you this because I don't want to burst bubbles. Do you know that in Australia they really don't drink Fosters? Wait, and they don't go to Outback every night? They don't eat at Outback either. What? Can you believe what? that? Blooming onions aren't just popping out of the ground? That's not, no? They do have kangaroos. All right. They do have koalas. I've not been to Australia. I'm going by what my Australian friends have told me. Um, but when we when they came for the Indy 500, Michael and the boys from Australia... We went to the parade. Now I'm just totally deterred and don't want to go there I know. anymore. We went to the parade, and then afterwards we went to a bar, and I'm like, we got to get Fosters. And they were like, we've never had Fosters. And it turns out that <laughs> Fosters isn't even available in Australia. Wait, so you mean to tell me that it's not Australian it's made, for beer? That that was a lie, too? Correct. That was just a tagline? Correct. 
Because I, I said, I'm like, let's go get some Fosters. And they're like, what, Jeff? No, no, no. They're like, because my wife hates the way he flops around on the floor. I, I, yeah, I know. No, they, they apparently don't have Fosters. You know, I actually saw, speaking of your documentary that you saw, Jimmy, um, and there are organizations that I'm going to not know the name of or whatever else, so I, I apologize for that. But I did see today uh, an interesting story from the Indianapolis Star, and they, they carried a press conference, so I watched it live just before I came in. About three girls on Washington Street in 1975. They were, I believe, 14, 13, and 11 at the time. And they were hitchhiking, which wasn't totally uncommon in 1975, on Washington Street. In and a guy picked them up and drove them out just outside of Marion County and stabbed all three of them, basically left them for dead. All three survived. Two two guys very shortly thereafter Man. found them and fortunately, um, you know, uh, allowed them to survive. All three of those girls, now grown women, were at the press conference today where the Indiana State Police and DNA, a, a group of individuals or a company that helps, you know, do DNA and, and that kind of thing, uh, identified finally, nearly 50 years after the fact, the the man that committed the crime. He died at the age of 39 in 1983 in Texas in prison. Um, but I but I, I found this interesting, and I will give full credit. I, I don't know that this could be me. This man, for all three girls individually, abused them, one of them sexually so, but the other two, he stabbed all three of them. One of them, I think, 12 times, one 15 times. I mean, brutal stuff. And I was watching this press conference, and I'm watching these three women, and of course I'm thinking to myself, like, I wonder what life has been like for them for 50 years, like living with this and knowing that this guy's out there somewhere. Of course, he wasn't. We now know that, but they got their closure today. And so the one of the three girls, the oldest of the three, was speaking at in this press conference and thanking the you know officials and everything else. And then the investigators came up to give the information. But before they handed it off, one of the three girls said, listen, I'd like to say something here. And they're like, okay. And she's like, I need it to be known that I forgive this man. I, I need it to be known that I have forgiven him a long time ago, that my faith in God told me that I should forgive him. And that my closure and peace came once I accepted that forgiveness. And I encourage others, if they are ever in a situation like this, that they would find that same strength. And I was like, I mean, Incredibly I'm watching powerful, it, yeah. it totally. I, I, I mean, kudos to to her and to the other two women. But I just thought that was an incredibly powerful moment. And one that I was thinking to myself, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how you, you do that, right? But but I'm I'm glad for the three of them that they found the closure that is necessary. Now, last night I almost called both of you, um, because at about one o'clock in the morning, guess what was on? Shawshank. Ding 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 ding. It's on all the time. That's why I can't believe you guys have never seen it. It's so good. Like you can't. I mean, I, I know I'm talking about a movie 30 years ago, but you can't pass it by. 
I can't be the only one that, that feels this way, that when you're flipping the channels and it's on, it's over. I, it's over. Like, you're flipping the channels and, and you you see Andy Dufresne or you see Red or you see the warden and you know what it is and you're like, okay, I'm in. I, I, I'm just going to stick around for five more minutes and then before you know it, and I'm not going to tell you guys what happens. You know what happens in it? You both know what happens, right? There's roughly a 30% chance, by the way, that I've seen this movie before. I don't, like, I just don't. There's no way. I could have seen it as a child. Like, there's a strong chance that I could have seen it as a child and just don't remember. It's kind of like saying, like, there's a chance I went on a date with Jennifer Aniston. I don't remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. There's no way you haven't seen it. You you would know if you've seen it. Okay. But you know, Eddie, do you know what happens? I'm not going to ruin no, it here. No, I don't. You don't know anything about it, right? Zero. The Shawshank Redemption. You don't know anything about, like, the, the plot? Nothing. Nothing. Right? I, okay I, i'm telling you like i will have i'm not going to totally damn you guys because you mean for I know a third have, time right that's right okay there are movies to be fair to you guys there are movies that i have not seen that people are floored by but i don't know that they are as ubiquitous on television as shawshank seemingly it's like the bader meinhof phenomenon that i always tell you about and for those unfamiliar the bader meinhof phenomenon is the phenomenon that there could be like something that you've never noticed before, and then as soon as it's pointed out to you, you turn around and you can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Shawshank will be. Once you see it, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, it's like on everywhere all the time. I, you know what I mean? Okay, just to clarify this, though, I want it firmly in place. It's on Eddie and I, correct? Like the watch party's not happening. We just need to go watch it ourselves. No, I'll, I'll, I mean... Because, like, we do this, and then every three months it never happens, and then you look at us like, why haven't you seen it yet? We're like, well, I thought we were getting together to watch it. And if that's not the case, then I'll go do it independently, and then we'll have that box We'll, we'll have the party at some point. All right, okay. Uh, Jay Law has on a cool hat and joins us on the show. What's up? Hey, Jake. Well, uh, your conversation about the three young ladies kind of hit home to me. Uh, my dad was on a golf vacation in South Carolina and was uh, – killed by a hit-and-run driver, allegedly impaired, and um, had to go through the whole trial. They found him later that night. It's a whole long story that I don't need to get into on the details, but in the sentencing hearing, the guy wasn't remorseful or anything, but I found that after a while that, you know, hate is such a evil, wrong feeling that once I forgave this guy for what he did, the burden was lifted off my shoulders. Now and I've been able to celebrate my dad as opposed to grieve my dad. Let me ask you this, and I, I appreciate, first off, Mike, obviously condolences, right? Um, yep. If you don't mind me asking, how long ago are we talking? Uh, we're talking this happened, it'll be 24 years ago okay. in April. So you would have been a young adult, is that right? I was 36. Okay. So, by the way, you look remarkably young not that 60s old but you know what i mean like i would guess i thought <laughs> you, you were i thought you were a few years younger than me to be honest with you um how long did it take you to reach that epiphany and did did you find a strength in sharing that with the man or was it just strictly an emotion that was between you and uh, like a higher being i did not have the opportunity except at the sentencing hearing even to see the the, the person that did the that did this he did serve 15 years out of an 18-year sentence. Uh, the rough part was my mom was contacted every time he did it, had a move outside the facility. 
but it was probably a couple years afterwards. I mean, because it, it was just me and my best friend. And it, it was, I mean, just my soul was just in the depths of despair. I mean, I missed a month of work. Um, my mom's super strong. I've rarely seen uh, her shed tears about some things, but this one, you know, over time she did. She's held a lot of it in. And I think after the sentencing hearing and getting back to church and, and getting my faith back and leaning on some people and um, especially my, my wife, I, was, uh, I wasn't married at the time, but she came through flying colors and just showed the true person she was. And it just it felt like the right thing to do uh, because hate, like I said, it just can eat away at you. And it doesn't do any good. It doesn't improve the situation. And once I forgave the guy, not that I don't forget it, it really lifted that burden off my shoulders. So, and I guess, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and this might be a tough one to answer or to to grasp, right? Mm -hmm. But if somebody's listening right now and they have an experience of feeling like that, that bitterness, that that hate, that anger, right? How do they find their way out of it? What what was it for you, or how would you quantify to them the advice on being able to find the peace you found? Well, I did a lot of soul searching. It's, it's really changed my priorities in life. I just got through a divorce, um, and. I leaned, I, mean, I leaned on my friends a lot. They were there for me. My family was. Uh, I started going back to church and met with several people there. And, you know, just all, all of a sudden, it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, why waste my energy and time on this person? Why not forgive him and leave that out of my thought process and hate and, and enjoy life and celebrate my dad's legacy instead of focusing on the grieving? And uh, we used to have a golf benefit tournament for him every year. Uh, we stopped doing it about five years ago to raise money for seniors and the Richmond uh, High School Booster Club. Uh, you know, we don't forget Dad. You know, his birthday's the day after Christmas. We celebrate it. We still miss him. I feel bad for my uh, kids and grandkids because they really didn't get to spend the time because he was a totally different grandfather than he was a father. Right. Not that he wasn't a great dad, but he really opened up and was uh, showed his true heart with the grandkids so december 26 is the birthday right correct all right i'll tell you what i'm assuming that we'll be doing a show i don't know what day of the week december 26 is next year but you got to call in on december 26 next year so we can celebrate your dad on the air cool absolutely jake i appreciate it all right man likewise appreciate it and appreciate the perspective um interesting stuff i mean you know that's that's pretty strong i didn't think we'd go there but um I didn't think the day would start either with that story that I was totally unfamiliar with about those three women. And, and then, you know, the fact that I guess it's never too late, right? Like you say to yourself, like, well, that's a crime 50 years ago. Why are they still working on it for? That's why that's, that's exactly why. Uh, Bob Kravitz wrote a very interesting column that just came out. I want to touch on that. And we might even talk to Bob later today. We'll see, but Alex Golden going to join us at two o'clock. We'll continue talking about Pascal Siakam. If you did not hear it in the first hour, Michael Grange of Rogers Sports up in Toronto that covers Pascal Siakam, or covers the Raptors, I should say, had really good perspective about Pascal Siakam. That'll be up on the webpage, of course, in podcast form and on the YouTube page later today as well. Query Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
Bob Kravitz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He's going to join us at 2.30. Uh, his latest column, and Bob... You know, I'll ask Bob if this is off base to say. I think Bob would would you would say is friends with Jim Irsay. Certainly, I know that there's mutual respect between the two of them. Um, and his latest column is that he thinks it is time for Jim Irsay to hand control of the Colts over to the daughters, based on. Well, we'll let him come on and explain. I think it's a very interesting perspective. Um, and we will have that conversation coming up at about uh, 2.30. By the way, um, Victoria Bitter is the main Australian beer, Andrew points out to me. I remember Will Power saying that when we had Will Power on in May. And he's, they, they have, I think they call him a tolly, which is like a, a big one. By the way, I did find Jimmy and Eddie. You both will be thrilled. Jimmy, um, I meant to bring it in for you. I did find Boddington's yesterday. Really? So I'll bring you in a can of Boddington's British Pub Ale. Would you like one, Eddie, or no? Sure. I now, like a good ale. It's the um, the can, it's a it's in the can. How long it, has it been in the can? Well, I just bought yesterday, so I don't know how long it's been sitting on the shelf. Good question. But it's oh, got so the, you? Fa- I'm sorry. When you said that, no, no, no. <laughs> I pictured you digging through your. Oh, no, 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 residence no, no. And, no. Oh, I, I found, found two in the back. I found it at a store. <laughs> okay. It has the, these are the cans that have like Guinness, the little thing in it though, to keep it carbon. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know if it's the wicket or what it is, but it's a little, I don't know what you're talking about. Correct. Yes. So be careful when you open it, but I will bring it for you guys. We should, we could even do like a taste test on the air. Can't we? Should I bring one can and the guys, you guys can share it, do a little taste test, see what you think. It's a widget. A widget? It's a widget. I was close. I said wicket. So what is that? Just like a little... Uh, the tiny plastic ball inside the beer cans. And what does it do? Like it just keeps it carbonated or it, what's... It's... This is me reading directly right from online. This is not... So during canning, pressurized nitrogen is added to the brew, which trickles into a hole in the widget. Once opened, the widget, the widget's nitro-generated beer goes into the rest of the beer, giving it a velvety texture. There you go. Velvety is a good way of saying it. Uh, this from Jeff. Hey guys, we can have a movie night at Quarry's place to watch Shawshank. Let's go. Here, here. You got cat allergies. That's a problem, though. Because there's a cat in the residence and he, he runs the joint. You got a full stock of PBR, too. <laughs> I do. That is correct. I can provide for everybody. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but when, when a guy's working hard, especially if you're tarring a roof, nothing uh, makes you feel like a man like some cold suds. That's from Shawshank. You guys wouldn't get that by the way uh jake spot on one of the all-time movies you can't skip past it caddyshack hoosiers and shawshank now see in your guy's defense caddyshack is one that that is my shawshank i i have seen probably every part of it but i've never sat down and watched it you know what i'm saying right. like, like i've seen and there are certain movies that you get to a point where it's hard to enjoy it if you've not seen it because you've heard it so many times. I'll give you one of them, and and this is almost blasphemous for people slightly older than I when I say this. I had never seen this particular movie, and but I'd heard it. You couldn't hang around Robin Miller and not hear this movie referenced twice a day. 
and I'd heard all of the scenes recited to me so many times that I was finally like, okay, I've got to see the movie itself. I think I'd seen bits and pieces, but I'd never sat down and watched it. And I sat down and watched beginning to end and immediately said, really? That that was the hype for that? And it's blasphemous to say, Blazing Saddles. Mm. I, it was probably hysterical in like 1974. D- to me, did not translate. And I know that like people are going to kill me for that. Alex Golden joins us next. By the way, I just... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I saw this. I'm probably late to the party. Maybe this is old news. I don't know. But disappointing, but not totally surprising. I always enjoyed Hopcat in Broderpool. I think it's a great location. When they first opened, they had, you know, like 100 beers on tap. They have a great turkey burger. Their fries were what they were known for. I think they kind of became a COVID casualty and just a Broderpool casualty in general. Last day for Hopcat and Broderpool, January 28th, they announced that they will be shutting the doors on January 28th. It's a massive space, so I understand why, uh, you know, the rent had to be astronomical. But I always enjoyed it and have had good meals and good memories there, so... Uh, hopefully before the 28th, be able to go out and enjoy it uh, again. Joining us now on the program, he talks about the Indiana Pacers on his podcast, Setting the Pace. You can also read his Substack, which is blue and golden. And Alex Golden. Now, Alex, I said I'm going to pick on you. Are you ready for me to pick on you? Uh, I'm ready for it. So when I, I, when I had sent a tweet that said, if... The Pacers are going to send Bruce Brown, I'm paraphrasing, if they're going to send Bruce Brown and multiple picks for Pascal Siakam, I'm cool with that. But if they need to throw in a salary match, I would not include Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, and possibly even Buddy Heald. And I think you were like, nah, man, come on, you can't do that. And in turn, I'll be honest, I I think that's what Indiana's stance was. I, I was basically mimicking or parroting what I thought Indiana's stance was. And so now I'm here to flex. Is that cool? Hey, that's that's fun. I, I was waiting for this moment to happen today. I won't lie. Uh, <laughs> I was just, you called them untouchables. And I was like, I don't know if I can consider them untouchables. That's all I was really trying to get at there was, are, are we, are we going to let a Jalen Smith potential expiring contract or a Buddy Hill expiring contract be what stops us from getting Pascal Siakam on the Indiana Pacers? I was like, are we, are we really going to do that? But they didn't have to. So, uh, you know what? You you had a better polls on it than I did. The Pacers clearly had a stronger stance on what they wanted. So, you know what? I'm glad it worked out that way. I cannot believe the Pacers were able to pull off what they pulled off in terms of only giving away two players, really, in this trade. Yeah, I mean, kidding aside, Alex, it does feel like – and I, I don't know definitively that they gave a hard line, right? But it does mm-hmm. – in reality, this feels like a steal. I, tell me I'm wrong. No, I, I completely agree. I mean – you're talking about Jordan Moore, who was not going to be on the roster after the trade deadline, no matter what. So he's the salary player that you need. You make that savvy move to get a second round pick from New Orleans, get Kyra Lewis in here so you can aggregate his salary with Mora and Bruce Brown in the trade. And then Bruce, I mean, I think everybody knew when Bruce was brought in here at that high of a number that it was used to be part of a trade package. And 
that's why I think that Toronto wanted to get this deal done too a little bit early because I think Bruce is very, very tradable for them. So to me, I, I think that getting Bruce was probably more important to Toronto than Buddy Hill because I think Bruce is more of a trade asset than Buddy Hill and they could probably get a first for him. But you're talking about three picks that really I don't think are going to be that great pick-wise and not to put the Pacers front office down or anything, but their their history of draft picks in the you know late late part of the draft has not been spectacular. So rather to bank on what you do now than what you don't. So I want to clarify here because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, admittedly, Alex, but when you say that Bruce Brown's contract, you know, when Bruce Brown signed here, the thought was that Indiana paid him more than probably the open market would have gotten. Are you saying that you think Bruce Brown is – a wanted commodity because his contract is one that people would want to take on to get out from under something or because they, because in other words, if in fact he's overpaid, what would make him a desirable trade piece? Well, he's got a team option. I think that's what's really huge about this because look, look at a team like I'm, I know there's been rumors about maybe the Knicks have interest in Bruce Brown. I, I'm keeping my eyes on Golden State because of how bad Andrew Wiggins has played. Uh, if they could somehow do an Andrew Wiggins for Bruce Brown swap, does that make sense to get off that cap? of Andrew Wiggins, save some money out of the tax, but they also get a guy that can help them win right now. And then they can decline that team option, renegotiate. I mean, there's a lot of different options you can do with it. I just feel like there's more flexibility and more team control knowing that you do have that uh, option of having a team option for next season. Alex Golden covers the Pacer for setting the pace, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Alex, we talked to Michael Grange of Rogers Sportsnet up in Toronto earlier today. I asked him this question. I want to get your perspective as somebody that covers the Pacers regularly. In the post-Kawhi Leonard years, so since 2019 when they win the title, the scoring efficiency of Siakam has slowly dipped over time to the point where he's basically an average to below average score in terms of efficiency rating. For the Pacers, they are a team that is one of the highest scoring efficiency rated teams, one of the highest points per game teams in the league, and you have an otherworldly guard in Tyrese Halliburton. Is it fair to think that Pascal Siakam can return to a higher efficiency level given the guard he's now going to be paired with in Tyrese Halliburton? 100%. I I definitely think that the efficiency numbers will be better just because we've seen how Tyrese Halliburton makes life easier on everybody. So he's going to run the floor. Tyrese is going to get him open shots. And then Tyrese just draws so much attention to what he's doing that it's going to keep teams from double teaming uh, Pascal Siakam and trying to put so much pressure on him. I know that Pascal over the past like 17, 20 games has really been shooting the ball up in three, two. So we're seeing Pascal kind of evolve a little bit. We're going to probably need him to, to be a better three-point shooter than his season averages right now. But uh, I think that Tyrese is just going to open up the floor for him even more, and I think he's going to do the same thing for Tyrese. So I, I look at this Toronto team over the past couple of years, and I know Fred Van Vliet's kind of been their point guard, but as good of a point guard as Fred Van Vliet is, he's not anywhere close to the level that Tyrese Halliburton is. So I think that life is going to get a lot easier for Pascal Siakam. You know, when you look at it, I, Alex, to me, the one thing about Siakam, there were two actually two things to me that are intriguing, okay? The first is, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm overstating this, Alex, but 
you know, Siakam is a lot like Halliburton in the fact that he went, you know, he wasn't a huge star in college. He was a little bit off radar. He went to, you know, he didn't, he didn't come from a Kansas or a Kentucky or a Duke where there maybe is a little bit of like an entitlement to it and everything's kind of earned. So you don't have the diva nature to it, I don't think. But he's also been running with, he has, he knows deferment. I mean, he played with Kawhi Leonard. He plays now with Barnes. You know, he, so it seems like for a big time star, he fits the Indiana mold. You agree with that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I was actually thinking about this today before I came on. There's a lot of guys on this Pacers team that maybe have been a little bit under the radar, have been a little bit uh, underappreciated by their own franchises, right? You know, Pascal Siakam wanted to stay in Toronto. That was the whole pushing point that I've heard for the last little bit anyway, is that he really wanted to re-up in Toronto, wanted to basically retire a Raptor, but they were unwilling to commit to him. So I think that... You know, he he's definitely cut from that cloth that he doesn't need all this media attention. He'll take it, obviously, if he can, can help him get more money, right? But I think that he's not a guy that's going to be looking for greener pastures. He's not a guy like a Paul George was that was looking for a bigger market. I think he just wants to play basketball and win. And with everything that was out there on the table, I think Indiana long-term and short-term probably gives him the best chance to do that. When you look at the rest of their expiring contracts or players that are going to be potential free agents going into the offseason. Alex Golden is setting the pace, takes some time with us. Do you get the sense that they might not be done? I feel like they're probably done in terms of like big, splashy deals, but in terms of looking at tough choices they're going to have to make on top of the need to extend Siakam this coming offseason, could you envision them with the expiring contracts they have that are attractive to some teams be leading to another move of some kind? I think we've got to keep our eye on it. It feels like there could be another move here. It's just what kind of move are they going to make and how much are they going to want to upset the fruit basket in terms of what they've already built here so far this season. There's question marks on whether Buddy Hill will come back. Jalen Smith's got the player option. Obi Toppin's entering restricted free agency. So all three of those guys could be off the books next year. But at what point, you know, do you do you let those assets walk for nothing? Do you try to maybe find a way to move off of them? I think that there is a little bit of a logjam now in the front court with Brandon and Pascal moving off of Bruce and Jordan Mora. Obi Toppin more than likely, maybe the backup power forward, but where does that put Jalen Smith? Does that put him at the five? Now where's Isaiah Jackson getting minutes? So then you got Jairus Walker, who's also the rookie they drafted, you know, at, as a third-string power forward once again. So I definitely think they do have some question marks there. Um, I feel like Isaiah Jackson's play this season has kind of made it hard for them to keep him off the court. So that is where I could see them potentially moving a Jalen Smith. But at the same time, you have to wonder how much of, of a value he'll have across the league because he has that player option. I think Obi Toppin might be the guy to keep an eye on in terms of who they move. And if they need bigger salary, Buddy Hill could be involved. But I think they really value his shooting, especially with the roster they have currently constructed. From a minute standpoint, and Siakam's going to take a large part of it in terms of where you're allocating minutes, but when you look at where the rotation is, who has the most to gain from that specific position group with Bruce Brown now being in Toronto? Yeah, I think it's kind of a, a really, it's a combination of players, to be honest with you, Jimmy. I, I think TJ McConnell definitely has a huge opportunity now to be the, for sure, back a point guard for this team. And we've, we've debated back and forth on the podcast who would start at the shooting guard. I think Buddy Hill does make some sense, but if they want more of a defensive-minded guy, they could start Andrew Nimhard there, who did a pretty good job while Bruce was out. So that brings Buddy off the bench with Ben Matherin. 
And I think that that kind of makes sense too, just because it gives you that scoring punch off the bench that you need. So I think really a combination of those four players, you're going to see an uptick in minutes because Bruce was playing, what, 32, 35 minutes a game. It felt like there for a while. So he was logging quite a few minutes when he was healthy. And I, I would anticipate you see more Nimhard, more McConnell, more Buddy, more Ben. I think it's just a combination of everybody's minutes probably is a little bit more even across the board. Alex, tell me something, if anything, that Bruce Brown does that Pascal Siakam does not. Ooh, that's a good question. Probably a better shooter. Um, other than that, I don't know. Maybe he wears a cowboy hat better. I, I can't really think of <laughs> Pascal Siakam's like, wearing a Red Bull baseball cap when he arrived in Indy. Is there a Red Bull yeah. sponsorship there? What's going on? I I don't know. He has a lot of sponsorships. I know he's got a big one with McDonald's right now. Um, other than that, I haven't really looked into too much of what Pascal sponsorships are. But do, do, do they have? Does it? McDonald's have a spicy pea burger? Because we're trying to get spicy pea wings at Big Lug. He's got he's got spicy McNuggets with like a spicy buffalo sauce, and then he's got a McFlurry, a Pascal McFlurry. So that's like on one of his like pinned reels on Instagram. So. You know, maybe the McDonald's sponsorship will carry over here. Who knows? But I uh, I think he was really loved in Toronto. That's, that's a crazy thing. He had a lot of endorsements there. Spicy pepper McChicken, I feel like, is the angle to go a there, spicy right? Spicy McFlurry I mean, sounds horrific, though, right? I, I, I don't think I'm about that. <laughs> I wouldn't go for yeah. the spicy McFlurry, right? No. The machine's going to be broken probably anyway. Well dude. done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Alex, tell me this. Alex Golden, our guest, by the way, setting the pace of the podcast. Uh Tell me the player not named Tyrese Halliburton that is most excited to have Pascal Siakam on the roster. I think it's going to be Miles Turner, right? Miles Turner finally gets a four that I think really fits him and is a really good passer. So you're talking about a guy that's going to be able to kind of help this whole situation out with Tyrese and Miles and Pascal. I think that's a really strong big three. I think Aaron Eastman has to feel pretty good too because he's kind of shored up that small forward starting spot. And it just allows him not to have to guard the fours of every time they play a team. He can probably guard more disposition and not get himself stuck getting in early foul trouble trying to defend guys like Giannis, LeBron, James. Now you have Pascal Siakam, who's six foot nine, six foot ten, that can be able to maybe kind of bear some of those guys instead of putting all that pressure on a, on an Aaron Smith. Hey, Alex, have you seen? Um, no spoilers, even though it's been you know thirty years. Have you seen Shawshank Redemption? You know, I'm not a big movie watcher. I've probably seen parts of it, but I don't remember anything. So, so no, I, I'm pretty bad with movie movie references. I forgive you. <laughs> As do I. Do you want to come to our Shawshank party? I'm I'm clearly now like outvoted here. I I I, I know I'm old and outdated, but I'm like, am I talking to the only three people in Central Indiana that have not seen Shawshank Redemption? So I'm kind of movie shaming, I guess. Do you want to come to our movie viewing party though? You gonna watch it? Is that what you're gonna watch? Well, I've seen it like I probably I don't know if I've seen Shawshank Redemption more or the Indiana Pacers in person. It's close. <laughs> I mean, I'm up for it if you guys are gonna have a watch party. I'll, I'll come watch it. I mean, I'm good for I'm down for a good movie. Do you want just, a Do you want a Boddington's Pub Ale or a PBR? Well, I don't drink, so okay, Diet Coke. I'll do a Coke Zero if you got Coke Zero. Yeah, Coke Zero works. That's what they have in Europe. Coke Zero's cool. Okay. I'm down with that. Uh, Doritos or Fritos? Chili cheese Fritos? Mm, that's a tough one right there. I like a good Frito, but are Doritos overrated? I feel like they kind of are, right? Ooh. I'm a big nacho cheese guy. I the, can't get on that train. I'm the sorry. The Cool Ranch Doritos are a little overrated because they kind of irritate yes. your mouth after a while. I'm with you there. 
Um, I like a, I like the spicy nacho Doritos. Those are pretty good. Hey, Alex, what do we want to see? Uh, well, spicy pea, right? You'll, you'll get those. There we go. It's another Pascal Siakam reference. What do we What do we want to see from Indiana here? It almost feels like now the end of this West Coast trip. You got Sacramento tonight, and then I think it's Portland Phoenix. What do we want to see in terms of just stylistically before they come back home? Or is it now just about blending in Pascal Siakam? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Pascal will not play tonight from what I've heard. So he'll be joining the team tomorrow in Portland and probably will get some run there. But for tonight, obviously, no Bruce Brown. He didn't play in the last game. So everyone's just going to keep playing the same style they've been doing. I don't think you really want to change too much stylistically. You just want to get Pascal uh, acclimated. And I think there's a, a very good chance of winning Portland on the road Friday night with Pascal's first game. I think Sacramento is going to be a tall task. And then Phoenix, to kind of close it out, it's not an easy road trip whatsoever. But I just, I just want to see them play the way they've been playing. I mean, they've been playing really good basketball. I don't want the trade stuff to kind of impact how they're playing. I just want to see guys do what they're doing and, and keep keep focusing on what's important because, you know, we, we've seen them win nine of their last 12 games. They've been playing great basketball. They've been clicking. And when you make a trade like this, it can kind of upset the fruit basket a little bit. But I, I think everybody's pretty excited. Nobody for this team that's out here long-term is going to be moving anywhere. So, I think they just need to stay the course and just, you know, take care of business. I mean, they, they really could end this road trip potentially with three wins. They've already got one in Atlanta. I think there's a possibility that they could beat Sacramento. It's just going to be tough, especially without Bruce there, but uh, and Pascal not being able to play now. So it's uh, – I think they just got to just take it day at a day at, one day at a time and just work their way into this until Tyrese is back. But I did think it was interesting that Tyrese was already list, listed as questionable. Yeah for tonight's game. I think that his recovery being this quick is, is quite remarkable. I think he said that, you know, hey, I avoided a major disaster there in terms of the injury itself. Better to be safe than sorry, obviously. Alex Golden, our guest. Alex, excuse me. Alex, lastly, um, then what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh, man, this is putting me on the spot. I don't I don't, I don't know. This might be a hot take. It's, uh, there's a lot that I do. Like, I, I'm probably like more of a a childhood movie kind of person. So I love all the Toy Story movies. I know that sounds crazy to talk about Pixar being one of my favorite films. No, that's cool. Yeah, I liked all those growing up. It's kind of a nostalgic thing for me. But if I'm, I like old school movies too. So I really enjoyed The Killer Mockingbird with Gregory Peck, just to throw an old one out there at you. Nice. I can go with that. That's cool. I'm actually going to see To Kill a Mockingbird um, coming up at Clues Hall in, I don't know, a couple of weeks. So I'm down yeah. with that. That's cool. Nothing wrong yeah, with a little Atticus good. Finch. Yeah, Gregory Peck is a great actor in that movie, I won't lie. Gregory Peck's one of the greats. Alex, appreciate it as always, man. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, again, on Substack, you can read his work, Blue and Golden. And then, of course, Setting the Pace is the podcast for Alex Golden. Now, have you seen To Kill a Mockingbird, Jimmy? I have. Read the book as well. Okay, cool. Um, I remember the book when I when I read it as an eighth grader in Carla Shadio's class, and I told her, I said, I think the book's overrated. Now that's a little arrogant to me. It's like one of the great fictional piece, you know, like one of the great books ever written, right? And she's like, "Why?" And I said, "Well, it because it's like two different stories. Like you have the story of like Boo Radley and and the kids with Boo Radley, and then you have the story of the trial." And I'm like, "It's like two different books, and it doesn't properly blend to me." And it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that the brilliance of Harper Lee there probably is the fact that to be a black man in the South at that time 
and to be a young child growing up as a white kid in the South at that time are two different stories. Two totally different things that never blended back then. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's a brilliance that I completely overlooked when I was a kid. That's just right. You know, but Gregory Peck, um, Gregory Peck also is the origin of my favorite, like quote and story of all time. And I think it probably has been like 20 different actors. This is actually that it might've been. And Gregory Peck was just falsely attributed to it. But the legend is, as I've told you guys before, that Gregory Peck was supposedly waiting in line at a restaurant in Los Angeles. People in his party were like, did you put our name in? And he's like, yeah, I did. And they go, what'd they say? And he said, it'll be 30 minutes. And they're like, didn't you tell them who you are? And he said, no. And they said, why? And he said, because you have to, if you have to tell them who you are, you aren't. Yeah. And that, that probably is like 20 different, you know, it's kind of like that. How many, how many memes have you seen? I'm going to give you a quote, Jimmy, and you tell me what coach said it. Okay. Uh Oh, everyone has the will to win, but few have the will to prepare to win. I want right now somebody John, to call John, in. John Wood. Somebody call in right now at 239-1070 and tell me what coach said that. Everybody has the will to win, but few have the will to prepare to win. Eddie, have you heard that quote? No. You never heard the quote? Never no. seen it? Mm-mm. Have you I've, ever seen I, it anywhere, yes, Jimmy? I've, I've heard the quote. I can't remember if, and are you implying that it has been attributed to multiple people? I want to know what coach said it. Somebody's calling right, in right okay. now. Let's just put them on the air here, live roulette style at two three nine ten seventy. All right, who's this? You're on the you're on the air roulette style. Who's this? This is Shane. Shane, who said it? I believe it was Robert Montgomery Knight. Okay, hang on just a second, Shane. Well, actually, we're not like doing a contest here. Let's go to line two. Uh, who's this? You're on the air. It's Rob. Rob, who said it? Bob Knight. Okay. That's who I've always heard. Shane and Rob, right out the box. But I saw it the other day, and somebody's like, Bear Bryant. And then I saw another one. It's like, John Wooden. Just Googled it, Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. <laughs> right. All right, let's go line five real quick, and we'll see if we go night three for three. Uh, you are on the air. Who's Okay, line four. On the air roulette style, who's this? Uh, Pat. Pat, who said the quote? Uh, just to go against the grain, everybody's saying Bob Knight, but I'll say Nick Saban. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. Pat, I'm telling you, like, it's kind of been, it, it's attributed to everybody, right? So it's yeah. like my Gregory Peck experiment. Like, I don't know that Gregory Peck said that, but it's always been attributed to him. But I'm telling you, Jimmy, like, if you, to your point, did you Google it? Yes, I did. Vince Lombardi popped up there, as did Coach Knight. A couple others in there as well. Bear Bryant, like Bear you Bear Bryant's up there, right? Yep. Like, I feel like it's almost... As if you could go into like a strip mall in any, like if you go into Birmingham, Alabama, they probably have a poster with a Bear Bryant hat that says, and it's a, a, it's not always the direct quote of few have the will to prepare to win. Sometimes it's like everybody likes to win, but very few want to put the work in or, you know, whatever it's like, but a variation of it has been attributed to literally every great coach. But I do think I always heard it was Bob Knight. And then I saw it as Lombardi and whatever else. I I have no idea. Sounds like they didn't prepare to see how profound and unique <laughs> their quote was going to be. Everybody likes a great quote, but few have the will to find out exactly who said it. <laughs> Is that a better way of saying it? Yeah. All right. Bob Kravitz, by the way, had a very interesting column in his Substack that was just released about an hour ago. 
And in it, Bob talks about the latest. And, and Bob is, Bob has a very, I think he would tell you, I mean, it is our job professionally to have professional and not necessarily like personal intimate relationships with, and I don't mean intimate in the way you think, you know what I mean by that, the subjects with which we cover. And he, I think of anybody in this town he probably knows Jim Irsay or has had in-depth conversations and connection with Jim Irsay as much as anybody who has covered the Colts over the years. And his latest Substack column says, it's time for Jim Irsay to cede control of the Colts to his daughters. And I, I don't think that he is saying that in a, in a negative like wanting that to be the case standpoint, but I think he has concern. And so I wanted him to come on and talk about it, and that's what we will do here on the other side. You're listening to Quarian Company on 93.5-1075, The Fan. Jane V going to take over. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Over about 33 minutes from now. But joining us now on the program, longtime writer and media member in central Indiana, Bob Kravitz, joins us on the program. Bob, who has his Substack column and the latest in it, is about in bobkravitz.com, by the way, is Bob, that's where people can read your yeah. Substack, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the The title of it, and, and I know this wasn't easy for you to write. I wanted to, to just give you the opportunity to expand on it. It's time for Jim Irsay to cede control of the Colts to his daughters. That's the column that just went out about an hour ago. Take me through just kind of the thought process uh, and the column itself about somebody that I know you do have a respect for in Jim Irsay. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, I mean, my, my heart goes out to him, whatever he's going through. Uh, with the uh, the uh, suspected OD uh, or the uh, respiratory infection. But, um, you know, this is a quasi-public enterprise, the Indianapolis Colts. They, they get a lot of money, and Jim gets a lot of money from the public. And I think the public has every right to know that the guy running this franchise is in his right mind. And... Um, you know, I mean, you look at some of the weirdness last year. Do I know? Do I know that he was uh, altered chemically? I don't. He's quirky, so you never know when it's just Jim being weird and when it's Jim under the influence. But I believe uh, it's time to uh, to to look at the daughters who have been pre- preparing uh, for this day to come. Maybe not in this form or fashion. But Carly, in particular, um, to take control of the team uh, on a regular basis, uh, whether it's uh, full time, you know, whether it's forever or just for a period of time till Jim gets himself together, uh, I'm inclined to think that it's just time to make the change. Bob, would you let's go back to kind of your relationship with Jim Irsay, and I say that because I want to you know, present both sides and be fair so that people understand. Um, you have had, 
I mean, I would say what a friendship with Jim Irsay or certainly a, a mutual trust and respect between the two yeah. of you. Um, so how difficult has it been for you to kind of see the last year or so some of the struggles that Jim Irsay's had? And have you had concern for a while? Yeah, I, I kind of have. I, I, you know, the idea that this is his second overdose, by the way, is, is you know, kind of absurd. I mean, he's he's had these problems for a long time and uh, on multiple occasions, but um, yeah, I, you're I, saying you I think mean, there I, would be more than two. Oh, oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, good God. He's been to rehab over 15 times. I mean, you know um, yes. Yeah. I mean, do I know that for a fact? No, I guess not. But uh, I just, I just, I, I'm quite sure that this has been a regular occurrence, uh, a more a more regular occurrence. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't, I know what the Indianapolis Colts mean to Jim Irsay. They are his everything. They are the center of his existence besides his family. And the idea of the team being moved away from him uh, and moved on to Carly and and the other daughters. Um, is pretty radical, but um, I think if you're a fan, don't you worry about your team when the guy who's the steward of the team constantly has these issues? So that's kind of the way I look at it. Do you do you think of it, Bob, in terms of be, just the fact that he would be altered in his decision making, or the yes. fact that he has an illness and thus is not around? No, I, I think more more so uh, the questioning of his judgment. Like, like you know, the last year or two, the decision, which I thought was a little bit rash to 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 uh, get rid of Carson Wentz, the decision to play Sam Ellinger, mandate that, the decision to fire Frank Reich and to hire Jeff Saturday of all people. Uh, with all due respect to Jeff Saturday, but it was a weird decision. So yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm paying all this money for tickets and merchandise, I want to know that the guy who's signing off on the biggest decisions is in his right mind. And let's be honest, we don't know when Jim is in his right mind. Bob Kravitz is our guest again. His piece up on bobkravitz.com. It's time for Jim Irsay to cede control of the Colts to his daughters, Bob. In terms of those that aren't in the know of the intricacies of NFL ownership, I would imagine it's it's slightly easier for control to be shifted when it's within a family. But how difficult of a process would that be if it was to occur? You know, I'll be I'll be perfectly honest with you, man. I do not know the answer to that. Uh, I I don't know how succession plans work. I've never even seen the show Succession. Uh, I, I have no earthly idea how that would work. I've got to imagine it would be. I mean, lawyers would get involved because lawyers always get involved. But, you know, it it wouldn't be anything like what Jim went through to get the team from, I believe it was his stepmother. um, Correct. That's correct. uh, After Robert Ursay died. Uh, I can't imagine it's all that complicated. I'm I'm quite sure that he's already drawn up uh, a pretty clear succession plan. Look, you know and I know this isn't going to happen. But I think it should happen. And would it be the best for Jim Ursay and his health? That I don't know. I really don't. It might be good. It might be bad. But I, I think that uh, as a quasi-public enterprise, 
that is bankrolled largely by by fans and, and observers that uh, you owe it to them to give them leadership they can count on. You know, it's interesting, Bob, because Bob Kravitz, our guest, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, I've been pretty vociferous over the years about my thoughts on public subsidy of, of franchises and the amount they should get. You know, Lucas Oil Stadium, essentially, you know, Jim Mercer's net worth was large is largely due to the the level of of which it almost doubled in the last 20 years is largely due to Lucas Oil Stadium and everything that comes from that in terms of the money that goes back into the Colts which is Jim Irsay himself but um the when you say quasi publicly you know i mean there's a lot of tax dollars that go into the Colts for sure yeah. right and i think more so than in most franchises um but it doesn't feel like that money is what is necessary for the Colts to operate. It is strictly luxury money for them. Does that in any way, shape, or form change the obligation that the Colts have to the public? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, kind of. Um, I'm a little confused by the question, but... Well, in uh, other words, in other words, yeah. if, if, if tax dollars were the basis of existence for the Indianapolis Colts, that changes everything. It's not. The tax dollars are... The, the or a bonus for them, right? They don't need the public subsidy in order to function, but no, it made no. it's made them really rich, right? It's made them really, really rich. And look, that money is still coming out of our pockets, bottom line. That money is still coming out of our pockets. And, um, you know, I, I just think that if you're a hardcore Colts fan, you want to know that the guy making these, making signing off on these decisions, I don't want to make it sound like he's making – Making, I mean, Ballard is still the guy, Pete Ward, but I, I, I kind of lost my train of thought. That's terrible. I'm sorry. Well, um, last question, I guess, re- regarding all of it, Bob. Yeah. When did you last talk to Jim Mercer or communicate with him? Or text message, you know, direct message, whatever it might be. It's been a while. It's been a while. A couple months, probably. Just, just, uh, I just texted to see how he was doing. And did you hear back? I don't recall that I did. I don't recall that I did. And you corresponded with him, like, I mean, in other words, is that a typical? Like, did you have regular correspondence with him and tell him? No, not lately. You know, when 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 I was younger, when we were both younger, uh, we were in in touch quite a bit. But uh, you know, given the different kinds of jobs I've had lately and being less beat oriented uh i have not been in touch with him nearly as much but every once in a while i'll reach out and just and every once in a while he'll send me uh, a uh, a voice text whatever those things are and uh you know have something to say but uh, nothing nothing too significant bob do you like the pascal siakam trade oh i love it hey look if he signs here, and I'm told that it's a really good chance that he will, it is a master stroke. If he doesn't sign here, you know, you don't like to lose first-round picks, but they're going to be middling to late first-round picks anyway. Bruce Brown wasn't coming back next year because he had a uh, he had an option next year. He wasn't likely to come back next year. Jordan Wara is barely a rotation guy. So yeah, uh, I mean, even if he signs, if he signs somewhere else next year, that would suck. 
but you know, it's it's. I think it's still worth worth the risk. And, and boy, it's nice to see the Indiana Pacers take a big swing. It's something that uh, we haven't we haven't really seen uh, over the years. Of course, they didn't make a. I mean, they've made some trades when they had to make some trades uh, with uh, Oladipo and George. But uh, this was a this this to me was a great great deal, and it, I think they will be in the top four in the Eastern Conference before it's all said and done. Bob, it's interesting to me. Bob Kravitz, our guest. You know the. A year ago, it's hard to believe this because it feels like it was five years ago, but at the beginning yeah. of last season, Kevin Pritchard, Rick Carlisle, you know, they basically said, like, guys, gals, have some patience here because we're starting this thing from scratch. And then I think they they knew Halliburton, they had something there. I think Andrew Nimhard surprised them at the level that he was able to play, you know, Matherin, et cetera. But what I was going to say, Bob, is it feels like this move is the Colts, or excuse me, the Pacers basically saying, okay, like we're in now. You know what I mean? Like now yeah. we, it came faster than they expected. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, I think, I mean, look, they won 25 games two years ago, 35 last year. I, I think they were looking at 40, 42, you know, it'd be about a 500 team, a little bit better than 500. Uh, I, I think this puts them in a whole different stratosphere. And what's interesting and I think instructive about all of this is that they were able to do this without tanking. And, you know, 25 wins is, is bad, but it's not a complete tank job like, you know, Detroit or, or Philly back in the day with the process. So, uh, you know, they didn't have to break it down to the stud, break it down to the studs uh, in order to get back. And we saw Donnie Walsh, who you may know, uh, we saw Donnie Walsh do this twice with the Pacers back in the day where he rebuilt on the run. And it, it to me, give a great deal of credit to the Pacers front office, Kevin Pritchard and everybody else. Uh, I've met him, by the way, Bob. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I don't think we've talked – on the air, at least since, but pretty fun New Year's Eve, right? You, yeah, I, I'll give I, you credit, man. I, I threw it out there when you were on the air, and you said, "You know what? I'm in," and you came out and joined us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great, great seeing Shannon, and uh, we had a uh, we. Uh, I had a good time, and uh, I spent a couple more minutes there talking to some people after you left, and got out of there about eleven fifteen because I'm an old man. Got home in time to wish my wife a happy New Year, and. Uh, that was that. It was a good time as always. Bob, I appreciate it on short notice today especially, and I know it wasn't an easy column to write, but I uh, want to encourage people to go and check it out. Tell people again how they can subscribe to what it is that you're writing each and every week. Just just go to bobkravitz.com, simple enough, and you can sign up. Uh, you can do a free subscription, or hopefully you'll do a paid subscription and get the full width and breadth of my witticisms. Appreciate it, Bob. All right, buddy. All right, Take Bob care. Kravitz joining us on the program. Very interesting conversation. Um, and we did have fun on New Year's Eve. A lot of fun at the Noodle. Marty took good care of us. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the the public dollars do change things, and there's a lot to be seen over the, the you know, certainly you hope that Jim Irsay gets better and, and everything is good, um, but it's an interesting perspective from Bob, especially because of how well he knows Jim Irsay. And the Siakam trade 
you could tell he's certainly excited by that, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest point within the Siakam aspect is he's right. You can count on, what, one hand, the amount of like big swings that you recall the Pacers really being willing to take, especially over this stretch where it feels like for the last four or five years you've been asking for that big swing, and, and you got one to an extent when you have the Tyrese Halliburton move. Clearly it is a big swing now when you look at what the player that he's become and the player that he is continuing to ascend to be, but so often you find yourselves, especially in the NBA, hoping, dreaming, and wishing your team is going to make a trade on draft night to go up and get in the top five or go up and, and, and ascend that ladder to make it a top three pick, and it's just so hard to execute draft night trades in this league that you need to get creative if you're trying to find difference makers outside of the draft and perhaps you're still building what you feel like is a nice free agent destination. To go do it in trade form and have effectively over half a season to sell Pascal Siakam, even though I think there's already been some type of agreement and they wouldn't make the move without that agreement, but you have the opportunity to sell for him what it's going to be like to play in Rick Kyle. Rick Carlisle's system, and to play next to one of the best guards in the league right now in Tyrese Halliburton. By the way, Eddie, go ahead and hit it. Uh, this in from the Pacers. Rick Carlisle says that Tyrese Halliburton with the injury to his ha- uh, hamstring is what it's listed, will not play tonight against Sacramento, but he does anticipate Pascal Siakam will join the team while on this road trip, but he is still determining when he will be involved in the lineup. So. Um, you know, there's, well, you got Sacto tonight, you got Portland, you got Phoenix, and then you got, you're back home. Who do they play when they come back home, Eddie? It would be the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets. So we could do this in fun fashion. Eddie, will let you have the first round pick since you're wearing a Pacers sweatshirt. The game in which you believe Pascal Siakam makes his debut is? Denver. The Denver Nuggets. Jimmy Cook, you have the second round pick because I'm a nice guy. You would take the Portland Trailblazers or Phoenix Suns? I think it's the Phoenix Suns. It's not just Pascal Siakam. Tyrese Halliburton's back for that game as well. Really? Yes. They're going both, They're going both. The Valley of the Fun. Exactly. Man, It's a proper debut. All right, fair enough. Then I guess that means that I will take the Portland Trailblazers. What is the fabulous prize that we're playing for? (laughs) By by the way, let me just throw this out. I'm going to throw Eddie under the bus here. What else is new? I know. It's what I do. And, and what did I do this time? Well, yeah, that? exactly. That's the question, yes. I've had to lift weights for this because Eddie's insulated and he's getting heavier when I throw him under the bus. Okay. Not really. Actually, I think you've lost weight. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I've mentioned Boddington's, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I said the other day on the air that I that I was having that I went into a store and like oh, by the way, we went to dinner last night. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. They blew the keg on the beer that Shannon asked for. Wow! They came up and said, "You know what? We're out of it." You know this. I think this is fake news. Is it's that not, one of those we where you get, we didn't get a video, so I, I, we have no way of determining? <laughs> is if that this one is of true. those where you did like a fist bump to we, the side? We can never call in. She, were, if she's listening right now, she can call in to verify this, but she'll never do that. Um, and plus, I don't think she doesn't know what I do for a living. To be honest with you, I'm not sure she listens to the radio show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I was mentioning that I would like to find Boddingtons, right? Uh-huh. And and then. As I'm mentioning this, for like a week, this has been a theme where I'm mentioning that I can't find it anywhere. Are you talking about my one true friend here? Now, Eddie, you have like one friend in life, right? Yeah. What's his name? His name's Alec. Yeah. Okay. Alec, your buddy. You grew up with Alec? Uh, We went to college together, kind of. Not high school? Correct. He's from Seymour. Okay. I'm from Indy. Well, here's the thing. 
he's allowing me to see more Boddingtons because he distributes it for his job and is like, by the way, dude, I'm a distributor for Boddingtons. I can give you every location in central Indiana. Eddie was sitting on this information. He knew this. I did not. Did not. Well, you knew that he was, you, you didn't even think to yourself like, well, my buddy's a beer distributor. You're looking for a particular beer. Maybe I should ask him. Right, like, like, if you were looking for, if you're like, you know, I've been looking forever for this really rare, like, and I love it, but there's a particular kind of gummy bear that I like. If I had a buddy that was in the gummy candy distribution business, I probably would think to myself, hey, you know what? Let me ask my buddy Earl. He 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 distributes gummy candies. It didn't cross my mind when you <laughs> clearly first brought this up. Second of all, he is a regular listener of the show, so if he heard it, I felt like yeah, he would have texted me. He oh, did. I thought you were going to shift the blame to the friend. Well, see, he didn't text me when you first initially brought this up, and usually whenever you make a comment in reference to like beer or whatever, it, I always get a message. Didn't get one now, the first time you brought it my up. My buddy Paul the Mailman says that he thinks Boddington tastes like soap, which is disappointing because I always liked Paul, and I enjoy when he and Lisa go out with us for concerts and whatnot, and I'm going to miss those days now. Now, this isn't the director of Giddiness, is it? Is, no, it's different Paul. Okay. Different Paul. Paul the other mailman. We need a how to. I need something to differentiate these. This two. is this is Paul Mailman Othro. Okay. Uh, Paul, the director of Giddiness, says Gideon would enjoy Boddington's. Paul uh, Mailman Othro says that it tastes like soap. What do you think it tastes like? Because I need something you better than soap now. Because that's all I'm going to have in my head. Smooth. It ha- this is going to sound weird. All right. And I it, this is going to sound totally weird about a beer because I I don't like the craft beers that are like oh it's the it's our lovely peanut butter and jelly stout. You're like can I just get a beer? It, <laughs> You ready for this, though? Sure. It has a subtle banana taste to oh, it. Oh, okay. I know that sounds weird because it's not a... You know, there are some beers that are like banana bread beer. It's not that. Right. But it has a subtle... It's more like... It, it is like a cream ale, but it has like kind of a, a banana type... It does not taste like soap, unless it's a banana soap, in which case it does, or beer soap, in which case I guess it would. Uh, you got picks for us lined up? I got a couple. Eddie, you have any? Might as well get it out of the way now. No? No. Okay. All right, then. Just me. All right. Well, we'll get the picks next. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day with college basketball and the NBA. First with college basketball. Give me Illinois on the road on the money line against the Michigan Wolverines. In the NBA, I will scoop three and a half as the Utah Jazz are three-point underdogs at home when they welcome in the Oklahoma City Thunder. Last one, Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I will take him over 25 and a half Total points tonight for the T-Wolves as they welcome in the Memphis Grizzlies. Eddie has no plays, so those are your plays of the day. All right, I'm going to pick one. Yes. By the way, JMV at Twin Peaks, you still got time to get up there on the northeast side and enjoy ice, ice, ice cold beer. Diet Coke's fine, too. Uh, Great food and, of course, great scenery. And then JMV will be there as well. Um, That coming up 3 o'clock today. All right, here's – I'm just going to pick a random college game. You ready? Tonight's schedule in college basketball. I wonder if Wyoming's playing. For this pick, will you be playing the role of a late-night caller from the 80s or 90s to a local Um, news station? Hawaii's playing. Hawaii's at Long Beach State. Uh, Give me Long Beach State. (laughs) Outright? I'm all over Long Beach State on this one. I have no idea. What's Long Beach State's record? All I know is Long Beach State's uh, baseball team is called the Dirtbags. Uh, they're eleven and seven. They're fifth in the Big West. Yeah, I'm all over Long Beach State in this one. Scoop them all day long. 
Here's you can't the scoop them. They're favored by three. Huh? You can't scoop them. They're favored by three. Then what does that mean? Then, then, You're laying the points. You're laying the three. So I'm taking... So I'm laying the three? You're laying the three. Long Beach is favored by three. And I'm waiting three. for somebody else to scoop the points up? Somebody else is scooping If somebody Long wants Beach? to scoop Hawaii, Hawaii plus three, then okay. you go with that. Here's what. Here's the kind of nice guy I am. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you Long Beach State's going to win by double digits. Oh, man. They're going to win by 10. Tough trip for Hawaii, right? If Long Beach State wins by 10 this year for the Long Beach Grand Prix, I will go because I know exactly where it is because I've been there before. I'll go to the Long Beach gift, Long Beach State gift shop and buy you guys Long, Be- Long Beach State t-shirts. We're going to celebrate if they win by 10 tonight against Hawaii. So if they win by 10, so you could, you could change the spread for better odds if you feel that confident. You could lay 9.5 for Long Beach State. So they have to win by 10. A $50 wager would win you 155 bucks. Probably be enough for uh, t-shirts. I, I'm so confident in it, and I'm such a nice guy that I'm going to celebrate by giving up money if I win. So I'm telling you right now, I, I'm I'm going to say Long Beach State wins by double digits, and if they do, you guys will get Long Beach State t-shirts. I have a pair of Long, Long Beach State basketball shorts, which are awesome. And can you imagine going to Long Beach State, by the way? I, I'd never go to class. Not that I did anyway, but I, I, I mean, you know what I mean? Can they have class outside? They'd ha- honestly like remember like an IU in the spring and be like we're gonna go outside yes. today. Yep. It'd be every day there, exactly. right? Yep. Uh, Eddie, I can't tell by the clock. Do we have a minute twenty left or twenty left? Huh? Eddie's squinting. He's looking intently at the clock. None of us can tell. Fifteen. Fifteen seconds left. Enough time for me to tell you that JMB's up next, and he is going to be at Twin Peaks. So. You can go up and enjoy that broadcast. We will be with you tomorrow. Two-minute drill. Kevin Bowen joins us. Seth Greenberg will talk college basketball. All of it tomorrow. Thanks for listening.